0: Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett led an elite group of scientists into the desert to develop a top-secret project known as Quantum Leap. Pressured to prove his theories or lose funding, Dr. Beckett prematurely stepped into the Project Accelerator.
1: blink of a cosmic clock, I went from quantum physicist to Air Force test pilot, which could have been fun if I knew how to fly. Fortunately, I had help. An observer from the project named Al. Unfortunately, Al's a hologram, so all he can lend is moral support. Anyway, here I am, bouncing around in time, putting things right that once went wrong. A sort of time traveling Lone Ranger with Al as my tanto. And I don't even need a mask.
2: Listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 12, What Price Gloria.
1: I'm a woman and I'm in love. Let's face it, you're a knockout. Would you stop looking at me like that? Sam, you better get used to it. You're going to have to convince everybody you're a woman. No. Yes. No. Yes. That's the rule, Sam. This is sexual harassment. I don't know what that is, but uh, I like the sound of it. This is hard on me, Sam. It's hard on me. I can't stop thinking about you. Time has packaged my best friend inside a goddess of love.
2: He wants to marry me
1: he's already married this is why you're here sam
2: he's leaving
1: gail he was just waiting for the promotion so he could afford to fight for custody of the children i'm
2: getting married
1: no she's not what happens Uh, well uh when she finds out that mr wrong won't marry her she commits suicide
2: Hello, and welcome back to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Albie. And I'm Heather. And in this episode, we are talking about the 13th episode of Quantum Leap, the fourth episode of season two, What Price, Gloria? We have a great episode today. In this episode, we have an interview with the co-creator, co-producer, head writer of Quantum Leap, and the voice of Ziggy, Deborah Pratt.
3: Ooh, how exciting.
2: It is a great interview. She talked with us for about a half hour.
3: Oh, and she wrote this episode too, right?
2: Yes, that's why we uh, contacted her for this episode. She wrote What Price Gloria, along with so many other of the good, good episodes of Quantum Leap.
3: So she was the brains and the beauty
2: behind the show. Exactly. <laughs> and the voice. She was, she's everything Quantum Leap. Yeah, that's awesome. And she was so nice too, and uh, very informative. I learned a lot from just talking with her. It's great.
3: It's nice to talk to people who are passionate about a project, because obviously, you know, she put a lot into this show, so talking about it even you know 20 years later it's nice to hear her still have passion for it
2: and i think this interview really legitimizes the quantum leap podcast
3: yeah we're awesome now
2: <laughs> uh, she didn't say guys stop doing that she really uh, liked the fact that we we're doing it so it's cool
3: maybe deborah pratt's listening now
2: <laughs> i would hope so
3: hi hi deborah
2: <laughs> thank you for giving us all this quantum leap to talk about yes So that interview is coming up later in the show. So you might want to stay tuned and listen to it. I'm sure about half the people just fast forwarded right to it. (laughs) But on to what we thought about this episode.
3: The uh, much anticipated Sam as a woman episode.
2: Sam leaps into a woman. And of course, that sounds so bad. (laughs) It does. Sam leaps into a woman. I've never leaped into a woman. (laughs) But now that I've heard it, maybe I want to. Is that like, I fell <laughs> accidentally into a woman So is it sexist in and of itself that Sam first time he leaps into a woman, he's completely naked in a bubble bath, or is that what girls do? They just always sit around taking bubble baths.:
3: It's definitely not what we do all day, but I think that was a way to like shock him
2: and to get Al to see the full Samantha.
3: That whole situation was a little weird for me, I have to say. The Al falling in love with Sam because he's a woman thing was really weird to me.
2: It was odd, but at least we got definitive proof that everybody sees Sam as the Leapy.
3: Yeah, I guess that was a way to make that point, but it was just weird to me. I don't think that if my best friend was a man suddenly that I would be madly in love all of a sudden.
2: That's why he was conflicted.
3: I I, I really don't get me wrong. I really like this episode because it, it's funny to see a man's point of view being a woman. He's like, whoever wrote the song, I enjoy being a girl was not a woman who wrote it. <laughs> it doesn't look like fun. Well, especially then when you had to wear high heels and corsets and
2: stockings. And
3: yeah, I mean, now it's a little bit more relaxed, I think.
2: Yeah. You don't have to go through all that. I mean, a lot of girls nowadays don't even wear makeup.
3: Yeah. I mean, getting your eyebrows waxed is not fun. But it's still not it's not as bad as corsets and stuff. So we've we've relaxed a little bit as as women. We can wear jeans now and T-shirts as opposed to mini
2: skirts at work.
3: And at least sexual harassment has hopefully fizzled out a little bit at work or at least there's laws to protect, you now.
2: right? People still do it, but you can't get away with it.
3: Right. Yeah. And but it was nice to see like Sam's point of view because he's so morally right. I mean, he you know, he always stands up for the little guy and he he always makes good decisions. But it was nice to see him put into a difficult situation as a woman because he got to see what it was like to be a woman. You know,
2: I like the show as well. For me, it was really interesting to see life from the perspective of a woman. Because as a man, you have no idea what they go through on a daily basis, you know, being hit on constantly and having to wear heels and just especially back then being considered maybe less than a person because they were a woman.
3: Yeah, I think during this was it the early 60s was the start of women kind of branching out and having more rights and being more into the workplace. I mean, you notice she was still only a secretary who is a woman's position, but it was still like they felt empowered and got out of the house and got jobs and stuff. But if you notice, she said if she found someone, she would quit and stay home and be done with work. So so would
2: I. <laughs> I'd rather eat chocolate all day than work. But uh, that's, that's me. still
3: my goal in life to sit home and <laughs> eat chocolate all day. Isn't that everyone's? Right.
2: Okay, so we got a lot to talk about and uh, it looks like we're going to have a great discussion about this episode. But first, the episode recap this is season
3: two episode number four what price gloria original broadcast date october 25th 1989 written by deborah pratt and directed by alan j levy sam leaps in enjoying a bubble bath a woman named gloria his host's flatmate and best friend calls out sam which pleases him as he finally gets to be called by his own name Gloria bursts into the bathroom and tells him to hurry up and get ready for his first day of work as Miss' youngest executive at the company. Sam is suddenly confused to be referred to as Miss and looks in the mirror, finding a young, beautiful blonde woman staring back at him. He is Samantha Stormer, a young, single woman who has recently been hired to work as an executive secretary at the National Motor Company in Detroit, Michigan. Al arrives and is immediately infatuated with Sam. Sam now realizes that Al, like everybody else, sees him for the person he has leaped into, rather than himself. Al tells Sam he must act like a woman until they can figure out his mission. Gloria and Sam walk to the bus station, with Sam dressed uncomfortably in women's clothing and high heels. The two catch the bus to work where Gloria is engaged to Sam's boss, Buddy Wright, but is upset that he didn't tell her about his promotion to vice president of the company. Sam, meanwhile, gets to work as Buddy's secretary. Buddy invites him into his office where he removes his jacket and proceeds to make sexual advances. Sam rejects Buddy's advances and accuses him of sexual harassment. Unsure of the term sexual harassment, Buddy remains undeterred, assuming that Sam is simply playing hard to get with him, and sends him back to work, telling him, condescendingly, to put on some makeup. While Sam is applying lipstick in the bathroom, Al arrives. Al is frustrated and ashamed of his strong attraction to Sam and admits that it is adversely affecting his relationship with girlfriend Tina and has forced him to seek help from the project's psychiatrist, Dr. Beeks. Gloria bursts into the room and excitedly proclaims that Buddy was keeping his promotion a secret to surprise her and that he is leaving his wife after the holidays to marry her. Al tells Sam that Buddy never leaves his wife and that, as a result, Gloria commits suicide. Sam tries to convince Gloria that Buddy is the wrong man for her, but Gloria contests that Buddy is the only man who has ever made her feel special. Sam says she shouldn't need a man to make her feel special. Gloria tells him that Buddy is coming to the apartment to discuss their future. Sam tries to make her realize that Buddy has no long-term interest in Gloria, but is just using her for sex. However, Gloria refuses to listen. When Buddy arrives at the apartment, he asks Sam to take his dog for a walk. Sam reluctantly does so and is joined by Al, who remains testy because of his infatuation for Sam. Sam is frustrated that he must wear uncomfortable women's clothing, put up with unwelcome advances from men, deal with his best friend's crush on him along with the fact that gloria will not listen to his advice the next morning gloria is feeling happy after spending the night with buddy sam tells her that buddy will never leave his wife no matter what he says gloria becomes angry and accuses sam of being jealous because samantha has never found a man who loved her for anything other than her body sam tries to explain to gloria that he doesn't want to see her get hurt gloria asks sam to try and accept her relationship to buddy Sam gives tacit approval, but only because he needs Gloria to accompany him on a prearranged double date the two have organized. Gloria's date, Parker, is a straight-laced, recently divorced man who says meeting Gloria has made him happy again, while Sam's date, Dick, is a sleazy, lecherous type who makes repeated unwanted advances on Sam, including grabbing his knee. Sam uses his purse to slug the man in the face and knock him to the ground. Sam leaves the table to talk to Al, who tells him that Gloria will commit suicide tonight. Gloria notices Buddy and his wife enter the restaurant and be seated. While Buddy is away, Gloria approaches Mrs. Wright and offers sympathy for their divorce she is undergoing with her husband. Mrs. Wright coldly informs Gloria that she and Buddy have an arrangement, and that Buddy will never leave her because of the social status he has required from marrying her. After receiving the news and being dressed down by Mrs. Wright's cutting remarks, Gloria leaves the table in tears. Parker approaches Sam, telling him that he witnessed Gloria become upset and leave the restaurant realizing that Gloria had interacted with Buddy's wife, Sam rushes off to find Gloria. Gloria is standing on the ledge of their apartment, about to jump to her death. Sam convinces Gloria that by committing suicide, she will make Buddy think she is killing herself over him. Unwilling to give him such satisfaction, Gloria comes to her senses and decides against suicide. She makes her way back to the apartment window, but part of the ledge begins to crumble and she finds herself trapped. Sam climbs out the window and clinging to a drain pipe helps Gloria to safety. Later, as Gloria is recuperating, Sam makes her some warm milk. Gloria says despondently that at 27, she's afraid she waited too long to get married. Sam tells her to stop worrying about finding a husband and worry about making herself happy. He persuades her to pursue her interests and enter the design program of the company. Gloria seems reassured by Sam's advice and seemingly emancipated. Sam goes to meet Al in the kitchen. Al has resolved his issues with being attracted to Sam and accepted that love is part of their friendship. He also tells Sam that Gloria ends up getting married to Parker, the guy she went on a date with earlier, and the two have several kids together. However, it is Samantha who enters the design program and becomes head of the division, though she never marries. Sam asks why. If his mission has been accomplished, has he not leaped? Al tells him that he must first get revenge on Buddy. Sam arrives at the office the next day and begins flirting with Buddy. Buddy, thinking he has finally succeeded at seducing Samantha, proceeds to reciprocate. However, Sam quickly informs him that he is a man. Horrified by the revelation, Buddy begins to back away, and taking advantage of his confusion, Sam throws a punch and knocks Buddy in the jaw, sending him to the ground. Satisfied with his vengeance, Sam is then able to leap.
2: Thank you for that episode recap, Heather. I enjoy them immensely.
3: You're welcome, sir. So in the episode recap, I I like the part where it says, Sam is frustrated that he must wear uncomfortable women's clothing, put up with unwelcome advances from men, deal with his best friend's crush on him, along with the fact that Gloria will not listen to his advice. I have to say, that is like a daily day in the life of a woman problem. Like that's what we deal with every day. There's at least one of our guy friends that has a crush on us. We have to wear uncomfortable clothes. But one of our girlfriends is always crying over a guy. That this—that's a day in the life. It really is. So Deborah Pratt
2: got this being a woman thing right.
3: Not that that shocks me, but it, I didn't realize until I was reading the episode recap that it really is kind of like that. <laughs> you know, just to hear it summed up like that. You know, wearing uncomfortable clothes. One of your best friends is in love with you. The other best friend, you know, that uh, really, though, in reality, that's kind of how it is every day.
2: Watching this episode, I kind of felt a little bit guilty just because I know I've hit on women before, like those guys in that episode, probably not as crudely or as direct because you can't do that anymore. But when you're a guy, there's always a thought in the back of your mind. If I say the right thing right now, she'll invite me to her apartment.
3: I'm pretty sure you say those crude marks to me all the time.
2: (laughs) Not on the air.
3: (laughs) Not in the workplace. So it's fine. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I guess it worked for Gloria. I mean, I think it depends on the woman. And I think that it has a lot to do with self-esteem. I think that sometimes people mistake sexual harassment for... Like, if a guy just wants to make a pass at you, sometimes they think that they're in love with you. You know, the girl thinks that they're in love with them when... In fact, they're just being primal <laughs> males.
2: When you're a guy, if a woman talks to you, you think they like you.
3: Wow, all the miscommunication.
2: <laughs> it, it's it's rough being a woman, I'm sure, but
3: Well, women like to talk to anybody. So we just talk to everybody.
2: I think it's just uh women view men as people and men view women a lot of times as conquests maybe. That's degrading. I know. <laughs> people too (laughs) well once you realize that everything works out but uh it takes a while to understand that women are people i think growing up especially in puberty and all you can think about is women women women
3: i like that in the in the episode it was it was so hectic but when you think about it that's just what women put up with every day
2: especially more so back then i think um
3: i don't know i think that it's the same stuff just different now it's all the same problems it's just how they arise i think Like sexual harassment isn't gone, but you have to now determine if it's a joke or not. You know what I mean? Like there's that line where it could be a joke or someone's crossing the line. And I think that you have to determine that now that um, everyone's a little bit more casual, I think, with sexual attraction and everything like that, that you have to determine if their joke is appropriate or not for work. And some people get really bent out of shape by comments that are made and some people don't get. Serious
2: enough about it. What I did eventually at work was just let women know if I was attracted to them and leave it at that. That way I'm not pestering them or bothering them, but I'm putting it out there. And then I totally don't talk about it anymore, which I found works the best. Like a uh, little advice for guys out there if you just let them know you're kind of interested and then ignore them, it's much more effective than pestering them, I think. Oh,
3: yeah. Cause if you get pestered, you're like, leave me alone. Get out of my face.
2: If you want me, there's obviously something wrong with you. (laughs) That's what people feel, you know. Goes back to self-esteem issues. I guess. But if you go, I'm kind of interested in you and leave it at that and you treat them as people, then you get a lot more friends. This is the dating advice line (laughs) with Albie. (laughs) Thank you for calling our next caller, please. (laughs) (laughs) No, but
3: I, I totally agree because if there's somebody who won't stop bothering you, you don't even want to be friends with them let alone date them because it's a little scary.
2: You know what the ironic thing about that is? Once you realize how to get women, you have a woman and you can't use that skill anymore.
3: <laughs> you use it once and you're done. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's true. Hopefully that advice can help somebody out there.
3: See, you just had to learn it for other people and yeah. spread the word.
2: You just say to a woman, I find you interesting. You seem like uh, you'd be fun to hang out with. That's all you have to do. And are like, oh my God,
3: he likes me. And he just walked away. Yeah, that's it. Oh, my gosh. I need to be with him all the time. And then you become the clingy, obsessive one. The girl becomes the clingy, obsessive one. (laughs)
2: And it it works. I really love this episode. When I knew it was coming up, some of our listeners uh, got really excited. And I got excited about it, too, because I saw it was written by Deborah Pratt. And she had written in a previous episode we talked about The Color of Truth. So I knew it would be pretty good because she's a good writer.
3: I've been looking forward to this one since I saw the preview for it the first time, the mislead. And we had to wait
2: and wait and wait. I know. But we finally got it.
3: Yeah. And it's a lot different than I thought it would be in some ways. How so? Well, I didn't expect the Al attraction, but I have to say I was really unsure about that while I was watching it. I thought it was a little weird that all of a sudden Al is attracted to Sam and I just thought it was really weird and they're talking about homophobic feelings and he has to go to therapy and and I just thought that whole thing was weird but then after the fact I thought about it and though it was kind of weird to me at first it totally portrays the friend zone if you're a guy and you have this best friend and they're gorgeous and you love everything about them but your friend's like whoa 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 we're friends that was basically what this was this was the friend zone Al was in love with his best friend who was a woman. And Sam's like, whoa, buddy, (laughs) you're my friend. We are just friends. We're better as friends. And so it kind of portrayed what it's like for a girl to have their guy friend in love with them. And they're like, what are you? No, no, you're like my brother. You're like my friend. This is not okay. This is just super weird. And that I didn't really see it as that when I was watching the episode. But that's kind of how I viewed it afterwards. Do you agree with that?
2: Yes. And it brings up the When Harry Met Sally question, which is, do you think men and women can be friends?
3: I think that there has to be boundaries if you're going to be friends with a guy. Um, Like, I don't think that you can go have lunch with a guy and be go to movies with a guy and and hang out with a guy all the time and not have something else there. Like with Harry and Sally in the movie, like they hung out a lot. And they were like best friends and really, really close and talked on the phone all the time. I think you can be acquaintances with a guy without there being either one side or the other attraction. But I think that if you become really close to the guy, that there's got to be one side or the other or both
2: sides attracted.
3: At a certain distance, I think you can be, I don't know if you would call it acquaintances, maybe more than acquaintances, but not quite friends.
2: What I got out of this episode was Samantha was being sexually harassed at her job and Sam was being sexually harassed at his job. (laughs) I didn't see it like that. But yeah.
3: Well, Al Al was doing really good, though, for Al. I mean, he tried to restrain himself. He was being honest with Sam.
2: He didn't throw Samantha down on the bathroom floor, is what you're saying.
3: Right. And he wasn't trying to make rude comments. The first encounter, he made kind of like rude passes at Sam. Not really passes, but at least rude comments. Or were they rude? I don't know. He was making crude remarks about her appearance, his... Samantha's appearance <laughs> but um I think that as the episode went on he wasn't being as rude as he normally would be with a woman.
2: I think it showed the whole sexual harassment thing because it's uh, an example of Al is very attracted to Samantha but of course that doesn't make Sam attracted to Al just because he's in the body of a woman because it's still Sam's brain
3: right it's weird to me that Al sees Sam as Sleepy. I, it honestly never occurred to me.
2: They've mentioned it, I think, a little bit before, but they haven't really focused on it. I know Hayden has mentioned it a little bit before. <laughs> and from what I understand, it's going to flip back and forth in the future. Hmm. So There's no rules to this show. <laughs> well, uh, what Hayden had said is whatever the episode necessitates, that's what we see or what Al sees.
3: I guess that makes sense.
2: And there's a lot of discussion about who's in the waiting room and who's actually in the past and whose body or personality and there's a lot
3: it makes sense though to me to have sam's i mean obviously it's just sam's consciousness going into her body and her consciousness going into sam's body that makes sense to me i know that we had talked about that in the beginning when i was not even sure how this whole thing worked i don't think anybody's
2: sure how this whole thing works well
3: they at least talked about it this time like al kind of said you know this is how it goes And he was like reminding Sam, like, remember, this is how it is. So just to clue us audience members into the way things are. But I like to know more about the project because we don't really get to see much. I see. I want to see like that side. I want to see the chick in the guy's body freaking out. Like, what is going on?
2: (laughs) In my conversation with Deborah Pratt, I didn't get a chance to ask the technical questions I wanted to because our conversation went so well. That the time just flew, and I, I only had her for a half hour, so I couldn't get the answers to who's really in the waiting room, and if he vanished, why is he still there, and all that stuff I wanted to ask. So if I talk to her again, hopefully I'll ask those kind of questions.
3: Do you think that they have all the concept mapped out for that? I mean, do you think that they sat down and, and answered all those questions just to write around that?
2: If they did, I haven't found it because I've read a lot of books on the making of it, and it just seems to be the rules fluctuate. They definitely do. I think it's just because it's an older TV show and it was meant to entertain somebody on a Wednesday night and... There wasn't supposed to be podcasts about it. Right. They they didn't realize the fanaticism that would happen later on. That's usually how it works. Now when you make a show, you know the fanboys are going to be out there dissecting everything every time an episode airs. So you have a set of rules and a show Bible and things that you can do and can't do. And and you better
3: make sure your dates and facts and everything are right because someone will call you on it.
2: That's uh, one of the reasons why, uh, say, Star Trek, for example, when it got into hundreds and hundreds of episodes, they had to actually have people on staff that knew everything about it to be a continuity checker to... Uh, know the universe and know to not violate the canon this show it was made at a different time and it was more for entertainment and you can just say wibbly wobbly timey wimey and that explains it all that that explains
3: so much (laughs) so sam's in his bubble bath and he hears his own name and he was pretty
2: happy for the moment he's like i'm gonna be called by my own name there's just one little catch (laughs) if only he really knew That scene for me, that opening scene was a little weird because that same scene that aired at the end of season one was just a little bit different than this scene. It was the same scene, but done differently. I didn't even remember that. (laughs) So it was interesting to see that, but I can see why they did it. Probably just a different edit of it. They probably had different takes. And sometimes it happens when you're doing a preview, you'll see something that doesn't end up in the final cut.
3: Or they just said, you know what? Let's use this one instead. This one looks better.
2: And that was eight months ago and nobody will ever see that again. Yeah. So what did you think about uh, Scott Bakula in the bubble bath? He's very hairy. Right? (laughs) (laughs) I think he might have let all his hair grow out just for this episode to be funny. I don't know.
3: Speaking of the hair, he needed to put on some stockings. That would have been a little bit better. Towards the end of the
2: episode, he did.
3: Yeah, I know. Well, after I think Gloria made the comment but in his dress with no stockings, So it's like, oh,
2: buddy. I think there's a little mini arc in this whole episode just about how Sam is getting more comfortable as he goes along being a girl. He's starting to enjoy being a girl, like the song, because he starts off with no makeup. And then by the end, he's got nail polish on his hands and toes. He's wearing stockings. He's got his hair done. He's got earrings on, all this stuff that he's really getting into it. So by the final scene where he's trying to seduce Buddy, he's full-on women garb.
3: Well... Like in the past, he does take on some of the persona of the Leapy. So that could be it, too, because I doubt he would suddenly know how to paint his nails or put on makeup or do his hair. The curlers made me laugh because, like, he had three curlers in his hair. And you could tell they kind of curled or, like, fluffed up his hair, like his man hair.
2: Yeah, it's odd that since he was curling Samantha's hair, Sam's hair was also curled because we're seeing... I don't know.
3: That was just for... Entertainment purposes, I think it was very
2: entertaining. Right, but it it was funny to see him in curlers. I like that. For me, it was the belly shirt, the half shirt with with (laughs) his like man belly and happy trail and everything, just hanging all out. I was like, yeah, maybe that's why men don't wear those (laughs) kind of clothes.
3: Not hot. (laughs) And and the one lady at the office, did she know he was a man? Was that weird? She kept
2: looking at him, right? But they didn't go anywhere with that. She had no lines. She was just at the desk next to Sam. And she kept looking at Sam. And when Sam would interact with anybody, she kept just looking over. I wondered what that was. What is that whole thing about?
3: Okay, I'm going to go off on a little tangent here. But I've been reading the Percy Jackson books. I don't know if anybody else has read those. Um, But they have mythical creatures that pretend to be humans. And they have something called a mist that they like put out so the humans don't see. They say that humans aren't very observant. And they like put out this mist so they look human behind this mist for the cyclops right 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 like in the movie he sprays the mist and all of a sudden he has two eyes instead of one but um i don't know if that's kind of like if she looks a certain way he's a man but every like if you don't really look he's a woman
2: she seemed fascinated yeah she might have some people can see him as him so but you think she would have said something
3: her and the dog
2: or (laughs) screamed or ran away
3: Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it was like she saw something different, but she didn't know what. Like, something was different about him. Like, in the Percy Jackson books, he'll say, like, something is different about that person, but I can't figure out what. And that's kind of, like, that to me is how the mist works. It's like, you see, there's something weird, but you just don't know what it is.
2: For a little while, I thought that maybe she was just attracted to Samantha, because Samantha's very attractive.
3: I didn't. I thought Samantha was kind of manly looking for a woman.
2: Well, she was really tall and that helped because Sam was able to fit into Samantha's clothes.
3: By the way, Sam looked great in a dress.
2: Didn't he? (laughs) I know. I was like, wow, uh, interesting.
3: Bulging muscles out of the sleeves and he was very thin and the dress was very fitting. I wonder if they tailored the dress to him or if he just wore a women's dress
2: i actually thought about that they seem to be tailored to scott Bakula and not lorraine chabot who played samantha so i thought that was kind of weird because scott Bakula doesn't have breasts but samantha does so samantha's clothes should have included an area for breasts but he is
3: not wearing samantha's clothes like it's not sam and sam's body wearing samantha's clothes he's samantha so they're going to be form-fitting on her so they're form-fitting on him Just for our viewing pleasure.
2: Okay, so we're not seeing her. But if we saw her like in a mirror, then she would have breasts in her dresses.
3: Right. It would be form-fitting to her. Basically, we're only seeing him just so we're not confused. Like we're seeing his consciousness.
2: Which makes me more confused. But later on in a different episode, which we'll talk about in the future or the past, (laughs) the uh, Christmas episode, his suit's tailored to the heavyset guy. So he's wearing a bigger suit.
3: Oh, that's right. So. Yeah, I don't know. But to me, this episode, it would have looked stupid if he had empty boobs like in his dress.
2: It just was something that confused me.
3: Fluctuating rules.
2: <laughs> exactly.
3: But I liked it. I, I mean, I, I was shocked that they made him look that good in a dress. Not that he doesn't look good. But I mean, I was in the first scene where he's at the office. I'm not really sure what he was wearing over the dress with the hat and the pom poms. I don't know, fur pom-poms? I don't know what that is. But <laughs> I didn't know they made fur pom-poms. I'm sure they got
2: the the period clothes right.
3: Oh, I'm sure. But that dress looked really good on I mean, it actually was flattering to Sam. So what
2: you're saying is you like your men to be cross-dressers?
3: No, not normally. <laughs> not normally. But they somehow made that look good on him.
2: I have to admit, for a young teenage boy, it was a little confusing for me. Like, but he looks good in the dress, but right. I don't know
3: if but I look good in the dress.
2: A, right. And I'm not sure what's going on here. <gasps> that was weird to me, too. So, uh, say I'm walking in heels. Oh my gosh, heels suck. When he was actually doing that, Scott Bakula, and like twisting his ankles, I thought, you know, how can you not really twist your ankles when you're doing that?
3: No, but really, like depending on how high the heels are, first of all, they hurt. And when you take them off at the end of the night, you feel your feet feel so weird because they're used to being like your heel is used to being elevated. So then when you step on the floor flat, it feels like the ball of your foot is being elevated. It's the weirdest thing ever. But it hurts. It hurts to wear high heels.
2: I don't understand women's shoes at all. They always hurt them. And if I owned a pair of shoes that hurt me, I wouldn't wear them again. I would find a different pair of shoes that didn't hurt me.
3: Well, pain is beauty. Sometimes when you buy new shoes, you have to break them in.
2: Yeah, not me. I just buy comfortable shoes.
3: Yeah, but you're a guy and you wear sneakers. Even if you wore like dress shoes, you would probably have to break them in.
2: Yeah, I don't do that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I think uh, Samantha looked fine in the flat tennis shoes.
3: Well, that's what I was saying about today being different. That, I mean, girls can wear sneakers if they want or jeans or whatever. They They didn't have to wear high heels and makeup
2: and keep up appearances. You shouldn't have to live your life in pain.
3: See, I am not a high maintenance. Well, I might be high maintenance, but not as far as high heels and dresses go. I'm more of a relaxed style. I don't have time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that.
2: <laughs> we lead busy lives now. We, you don't have three hours to get ready before work.
3: Well, yeah, that too. And But there's people at my job who wear high heels to work all day long, eight hour job on their feet all day wearing high heels. I would cry. My feet hurt in sneakers. I would love to see you wear high heels at your job all day. <laughs>
2: Uh, maybe if they have cross-dressing day. I'm not opposed to it. It just doesn't look comfortable.
3: I like the non-skid high heels. The do they Do they make those? Looks like a pump, feels
2: like a sneaker. <laughs> That'll be the new infomercial. That's like pajama jeans. <laughs> I would wear those. <laughs> Samantha Stormer. That name to me sounds like a superhero. I
3: was going to say a romance novel character, but Some- either one. Something
2: like more than a normal name. Yeah,
3: it doesn't sound normal. Samantha Stormer. Here to rescue the day.
2: I really loved the actress who played Gloria. Yeah, she did a great
3: job. She was very good at all her emotional scenes.
2: Her name's Jean Segal. She's the sister of Katie Segal from Married with Children, Lost, Futurama. Wow, I didn't even know that. I did not know that. I found that out before the fourth time I watched this episode. But watching it this last time, I could really tell the family resemblance. I thought she did a really good job with that character because I really believed that she was going through all these emotions and the crying and at the end, you know, the wanting to commit suicide. Can I mention that? Uh, The suicide aspect in this episode, there's a lot of suicide so far in Quantum Leap. I wonder
3: if personally there was a suicide in their family or if one of them had had experienced wanting to commit suicide.
2: Something to find out. Uh, We'll see if that keeps coming in future episodes or not.
3: You know, suicide is a big issue when you feel like I guess this was her first real love, what it sounded like anyway. And I know it's really depressing after you break up with the one you thought was the one anyway. But I don't think I've ever thought about dying over a guy. So I guess Sam put it in good perspective. He's like, do you really want to give him the satisfaction? You know, really make him think that you died for him. She was like, huh? no. <laughs>
2: Do a lot of women date married men and think that they're going to leave their wife for them? Yes. I actually
3: have personal experience in this. Well, okay, not personal experience, secondhand experience in this All right, I'm intrigued. I have a friend who seems to think that, I think she thinks it's a competition, and I think it stems from self-image issues or self-esteem issues, and it's like you want to win. Like... Here's a guy who's happily or unhappily married, and you either initiate it or he initiates it. And you're like, oh, okay, well, then if he picks me over the other girl, then I win. And if he doesn't, then it's usually disastrous because you lose to another girl. It majorly affects you either way because if you lose, then it's crazy depressing because you're obviously not as good as the other one. When usually in reality, it's because they're too lazy to leave. Or it's easier to stay, even if they're miserable. Um, their lives are too intertwined to separate. A lot of people that are married just stay together because it's easier. Even Not even married people. A lot of people that are together just stay together. I think Dane Cook had a joke. I can't break up with him because all my CDs are in his car. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's easier to just stay together because all my CDs are in his car. <laughs> But I mean, it, like in reality, if, if you live with someone and, you know, the thought of, well, if, if I move out on my own and they can't pay my bill or, you know, I can't pay my bills on my own right now, I have help paying my bills. You know, obviously this guy didn't have that problem with help paying his bills. But I mean, the social standard and everything, they had a good thing going. They have the married side of it where the house is being taken care of or whatever and you have that whole side of being home and that's all that part of it is taken care of but then on the other side of it you have that fling exciting part of your life where that need is being met also I think there was a quote one time that said your wife can satisfy 80 percent of your needs and your mistress can satisfy 20% of your needs. But if you leave your wife, your mistress can still only satisfy 20% of your needs. So you're still losing out when you leave your wife.
2: That's why most guys never leave, I think. Well, I
3: think that it looks fresh and exciting to leave for the new woman. But then again, like your wife is your home and your your life. And I mean, I can't speak because I've never been in that situation, but I've watched the situation come up and crumble plenty of times.
2: Uh, The character of Gloria in this episode really reminded me of Carrie Fisher's character Marie in When Harry Met Sally.
3: Oh, yeah, that happened there, too.
2: The whole movie, she thought he was going to leave his wife, but of course he wasn't going to.
3: Well, I think that you convince yourself that the behavior is okay. I think that's the same thing as like a a, a verbal or physical abuse situation where you convince yourself that they love you or you, you convince yourself that they don't really mean it. But you can convince yourself of a lot of things when you're in a pretty bad situation.
2: So Gloria was convincing herself that Buddy was going to leave his wife.
3: Well, and he was convincing her, too. I mean, she wanted to believe it. So it wasn't hard for him to convince her. But all he had to say was, oh, yeah, I'm going to leave her after the holidays. But Sam had a good point. OK, well, there's Thanksgiving and then Christmas and then New Year's and then Valentine's Day and, and President's Day. and
2: <laughs> And Gloria was like, President's Day?
3: But I mean, that, but that's how it happens. It always shows up on sitcoms. And even in When Harry Met Sally or Look Who's Talking. Oh, I have to wait until after this happens and after this happens and then I'll leave my wife and then
2: it never comes. We could see some of Buddy's uh, game, his techniques on hitting on women by lying about his relationship with his wife when he hits on Samantha and tells Samantha that his wife is so drunk when he gets home that there's no relationship there.
3: Which could be true. But leave your wife first and then go looking for someone else. You need to not be a coward and jump from one comfort to another comfort. If you want to not be with your wife, stop being with your wife, not go to another woman. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you don't want to be with someone, don't be with them. But another person shouldn't influence that decision. Take away all the other people. And if you don't want to be with your wife, you don't want to be with your wife. But it's usually easier to work on your problems with your wife than start a whole new life.
2: Well, he was never going to leave his wife because I think his wife said uh, the status and money that he got from the marriage.
3: Oh, yeah. And that's usually if it's not status and money, it's something there's always some reason to stay and especially when there's kids involved. I don't know if they had kids, but usually when there's kids, then it's well, if you leave, then you have to have a custody battle and you got to figure out when you see the kids and all that stuff. And it just gets too complicated.
2: Buddy was getting caught all over the place. He was hitting on Samantha, and then that same night, Samantha sees him kissing Gloria. So he was getting caught there, and then he gets caught by his wife when Gloria introduces herself to his wife.
3: First of all, why didn't Sam say anything about buddy-making passes at
2: him? It would have been a good opportunity.
3: I've seen that before, done in shows, and the girl goes, you're making that up to make me mad at him.
2: Or she could uh, just... And the friendship right there with her because she would think that Samantha was initiating it. Right. So then Sam wouldn't have a way in to stop the suicide.
3: Right. But also the fact that Gloria walked up to the wife, holy bold move. Like, that is just not cool. I, would, I personally just don't think that I would have the gall to do that.
2: I think she was a little naive and truly did believe Buddy saying that the wife knew about it and they were getting to get separated
3: it was so funny, I'm watching and I'm going, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. But she needed a reality check. I mean, really. Because when you mess around with a married guy, chances are he's not going to leave his wife. You just should know that. And us- I think women usually leave their husbands for other guys more so than men leave their wives. I mean, I I haven't seen women leave their husbands as much because I'm not really in that situation. I actually don't have a lot of married friends, but... um. I think that it's more common for a woman to leave their husband for someone. I knew someone who they were both married and cheating and the woman left and the guy didn't leave. I think that's a very common thing. Not obviously not just today's society.
2: Do you think back then or even today that a woman in that situation would think about committing suicide just over a guy and a stupid thing like that?
3: Oh my gosh, yes. And not even just back then today also. Depending on how you view yourself and what you think your options are you could want to commit suicide over anything. I mean, there's kids that commit suicide because they're bullied at school.
2: Don't commit suicide. Not a good idea. Not a good option.
3: Well, like Sam said, it doesn't make it better. You think the pain will stop, but then you don't have any more options. Like you can't make your life better once you end it.
2: Right. After the end of the story, there's no PS. I think a lot of her motivation had to do with her age. And she thought this was her last shot, which is not true because you can meet the love of your life at any time in your life.
3: Well, but going back to that decade or even before that, especially before that, you were kind of an old maid by the time you hit 30. It was a higher risk to have children. It was nowadays with our technology and the fact that women are so empowered and have more rights than they did back then. A lot of women have careers first and then settle down and have families. But back then, that wasn't the case. When you hit a certain age, you were an old maid. I'm glad it's not like that anymore. Can I say that I understand it completely? But it bothered me that Gloria met, married the
2: next man she basically dated. Oh, see, that didn't bother me because I thought maybe they just hit it off.
3: Well, I liked him. That's why I didn't... I mean, it didn't completely bother me because he was a nice guy and I liked him and he was already divorced.
2: <laughs> That's a good thing. That's she sort. wasn't She wasn't going after a married guy again, again.
3: Right. But um, I thought it was going to go a different way with Sam saying, like, you don't need a man to be happy. But also at the same time, I feel like if you meet the right person then they become your happiness too. So it didn't bother me really, but I just thought it was kind of weird that she ended up marrying the next guy that she met. Sam says women are masochists. <laughs> and I have to say that's kind of a funny statement that he made. But I mean, really, we pluck our eyebrows, we curl our hair, straighten our hair, diet, uh, we wax, pluck, shave everything. We wear uncomfortable clothes.
2: Sam didn't do any waxing in this episode or shaving.
3: No, because I'm assuming he didn't need to.
2: He was only around for three days, so uh, Samantha might have been stubbly. Stockings. (laughs) (laughs) She was blonde. It was okay. Okay, so she'd get away with it for three days or so. I really loved in this episode the mirror work. I mostly agree with you. Uh, I know you didn't like the opening mirror scene.
3: Right. Well, their hands didn't match. Didn't match up quite. No.
2: But the lipstick part, that was dead on.
3: Yeah, that one was good. I didn't even think about it. Like, that's how good it was. I didn't even
2: think. The most amazing one to me was when Gloria and Samantha are in Samantha's bedroom and she's getting dressed and there's that full mirror on the wall, which wasn't a mirror because, of course, then you would see the camera. It was actually two rooms doubled up and reversed. And uh, for the longest time, the first two times I watched this episode, I'm like, there's no way the visual effects were that good. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they did it. How they did what? Well, in the room that we're in as the camera Mm -hmm. is Scott Bakula and Gene Seagal playing Gloria. And in the mirror is the actress Lorraine Chabot playing Samantha and also Gene Seagal playing Gloria. My mind was blown and I couldn't understand it. Then I remembered back to an episode of... Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which was called The Replacement, I think. And um, Xander Harris, played by Nicholas Brendon. Same kind of thing. The visual effects were so amazing that there was two of them, and I couldn't tell where like the lines were, the green screen was, the split screen was. And I was like, this is amazing. So I did research on that episode, and I found out that Nicholas Brendon has a twin brother named Kelly Donovan. So that's how they did that episode. So then I was like, okay, if... Gene Segal has a twin sister. Now I know how they did it. So our researcher, Juan, when he sent us all the research, guess what? She has a twin sister? She has a twin sister named Liz. What do you know? So amazing. I don't know if they hired Gene Segal because she had a twin sister or while they were setting up the show, she said, you know, I have a twin sister. This would make a great effect. I don't know how it happened, but very impressed with that whole mirror scene. Every time I watch it, I like it.
3: I didn't even think about it that way. When something is that good, I don't think about it. You know what I mean? Like when something is just that awesome, I'm just like, eh, this is perfect. But I don't even go, how did they do that? That's totally your area. And now that you say something like they did do really good on that.
2: Well, I was so fascinated because uh, Liz and Jean did such a great job. I don't know this for a fact, but I'm using all my experience of what I know behind the scenes to uh, come up with this. But they did so good matching. And their faces were exactly the same. That's what I didn't understand. Like if they blocked one of their faces maybe with the angle and did it over the shoulder, you know, you could use a double, but their faces were the same. There there was only a little slight mismatch in that scene, but that proves that it wasn't a mirror, it wasn't an effect, and it was two different people. But I was just, when I watch something that good, I get a little bit taken out of the story because uh, first I'm confused and I have to figure it out. But it's just a great job.
3: You were definitely the technical part of this team
2: (laughs) i just enjoy the behind the scenes stuff i enjoy learning the how and the why uh they did a scene like that in uh, terminator also because uh linda hamilton has a twin sister so when you have that as a director or producer and the knowledge of a twin i think uh you go we could do something really cool here
3: i wonder if that's like a plus on your resume
2: i would say under special talents have a twin sister so if we're doing some kind of weird mirror thing there you go
3: yeah and starting with the mirror scenes in season one they've gotten so much better
2: Very impressive. Yeah. Uh, I can really tell that, like, especially the lipstick scene, they must have done a lot of rehearsing to get that that accurate, because even both of the lipsticks matched up.
3: Yeah, they did do really good with that one.
2: I noticed in this episode there was a lot of shots of Scott Bakula's butt.
3: (laughs) That's because the men were looking at his, well, his, her butt.
2: So, uh, you know, you don't really notice shots of uh, women's butts as much because they're all over the show. But when they're showing Scott Bakula's butt in a skirt, it's like, hmm, that's interesting. He didn't have a bad butt. (laughs) A bad butt. (laughs) Different scenes. uh, He was uh, getting coffee for the guys that were discussing cars. And Samantha brought up fuel economy. And that was a funny joke about how it gets eight miles to the gallon, which today I think that's even illegal, isn't it?
3: (laughs) Well, but they also paid, what, 12 cents a gallon? Right. I mean, it still evens out because now we pay almost
2: $4 a gallon, so. There were no thoughts back then that fossil fuel would eventually run out or be $4 a gallon. Um, They talked in this episode about the Etzel, which I got a chuckle out of because in the movie Peggy Sue Got Married, that was a big joke, the Etzel, because it was a big failure as a car.
3: I don't even know what that is. (laughs)
2: <laughs> it was a, so much of a failure that i don't even know what it it's It's a car and it, it became a punchline to a lot of jokes back then the Etzel. right that just reminded me of another time travel movie peggy sue got married
3: i haven't seen that movie in a really long time that's one of my grandma's favorites
2: i love time travel movies
3: i didn't even know that was a time travel
2: movie you need to watch it again probably probably
3: well there's a point where sam looks up and he apologizes to god fate time or whatever for whatever he has done to deserve being a woman <laughs> Has there ever been a moment where you're like, I am so sorry, karma, because I never want to be in this situation again. So whatever I did, I'm sorry. Every day at my day job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I get moments where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm that repaid everything I've ever done.
2: Sam was having an emotional time dealing with the whole situation of being Samantha, even when uh, she was getting coffee and she was saying, I like light beer, microwave popcorn, and I want to watch a video. And
3: that's when Gloria asked if
2: he was PMSing. Right. So do you think Sam was having such a rough time because of all the emotions of the Swiss cheese part from Samantha? Or do you think it was just the situations that Sam was put in because he was a girl and the whole outside world was trying to really get something from him?
3: That's a good question. I think that being a woman, if he was like to truly experience being a woman, you have a ton of different things on your mind. I'm pretty sure we think about... A million things at once, and I don't think guys do. We'll see. We're like, okay, we need this at the store, and we need to do this, and we need to we gotta switch the laundry, and gotta make sure the kids okay. And tomorrow at work, I gotta do this, and it's it's pretty bad. It's probably why we don't sleep a lot because we lay in bed and think about all of those things. But I think that he probably was experiencing some of Samantha's emotions too. I don't know if he was necessarily PMSing, but it's possible because physically he was a woman. I think that with physically being a woman, he would have all those emotions as well. Is that what you
2: think? I think if I was suddenly put in a position that women deal with on a daily basis, I would probably be stressing out as well.
3: Yeah, because he didn't handle it like a guy. Like, if you
2: were put in that situation, you'd probably be like, whoa, dude, calm down. I've been sexually harassed a few times in my life and uh, (laughs) always by women I did not find attractive. Of course. (laughs) So, I no offense to anyone who has sexually harassed me. Hey <laughs> but, um, it just I understand a little bit of how that would feel, and if it was coming from everywhere at once, I think I would be like, "I don't want to leave the house."
3: Yeah, I don't know. I think that it was overwhelming for him, but I think some of the emotion from physically being a woman had an effect on that.
2: Scott definitely doing a good job in this episode.
3: Yeah, he pulled off a dress well. He pulled off being a woman well. That was good.
2: I wonder if we'll get to see him as a woman again.
3: Well, I have to say, the only thing that was off-putting was the hairy cleavage.
2: You don't like hairy cleavage?
3: Well, when they were, I think that it was on the blind date. I think that's when the hairy cleavage kind of came into play. <laughs> uh, Dick, I think his name was, yeah, appropriately.
2: <laughs> <laughs> was uh, grabbing his hairy knee. I was like, whoa, that's weird.
3: I love Sam's attitude towards his blind date. Like, I love that he's like, so... Passive, aggressive, I think. Who's just like, you shouldn't do that?
2: <laughs> I wonder if Samantha was even looking for a guy at all because apparently she ends up not getting married. She adopts a daughter, but she doesn't get married. She doesn't end up with someone.
3: Well, I think that she followed her own advice that you don't need a guy to make you happy.
2: So uh maybe if uh, Deborah Pratt had written her that she does get married in the end, it might have been kind of uh, incongruent with Samantha's beliefs.
3: Yeah. I, I think that. If both women were to get married, that it would be, it it would go against the message of the episode.
2: Right. It might be saying you still need to get married to be happy. Right. But I think she ended up happy. She had a daughter and a good career, good life.
3: I think that if you meet the right person, getting married is a good decision. But if you don't meet the right person, getting married just to get married is a waste of time and frustration.
2: When Al calls Sam a hermaphrodite, you think that was offensive to hermaphrodites? I don't think he meant it offensively. I was a little uncomfortable with that because I know that's a real issue that people have to deal with in life. And I don't know if they were making fun of that or not.
3: I honestly didn't even view it that way. I don't really think Al meant it. He wasn't like making fun of hermaphrodites. So I don't think that it was offensive or at least it wasn't meant offensively.
2: Did you like the dog in this episode? It was a cute little puppy.
3: It was a little poodle Poodle mix of some sort. Al was like, shut up. He was upset. Yeah. And
2: taking it out on the dog.
3: Yeah, but the dog kept barking at him. So I was like, stop.
2: The scene on the bench with the dog and Sam, I thought was really cute. He was saying his lines, but it was depending on the reactions from the dog. So I think it worked good. I like seeing Scott Bakula with a dog.
3: Which is weird because you don't like dogs.
2: But I like Porthos from Enterprise.
3: It's like you like the idea of a dog or the image of a dog, but you don't actually like dogs. Dogs are cute,
2: but if they're around me and can bite me, I get scared. So as long as they're on TV (laughs) or a poster, I'm good.
3: Look at the cute puppy from over there.
2: (laughs) Um, But he did really good. So that reminded me of Enterprise a little bit. The acting with Porthos and the acting with that little poodle. Around that same time in the episode, Al is walking into the street in the imaging chamber and almost gets hit by a bus. And then that brought up a memory of being hit by a bus from Genesis. Remember how they just threw being hit by a bus in there? Right. I wonder if that was the reference. I don't that. know. But they threw in again, almost being hit by a bus. So I wonder if that's a thing. I need to know this. Huh. I guess we'll keep an eye out for that in the series. Questions we should write down for when we talk to Don P. Belazario. We
3: should have an ongoing list. We really should. That's a good idea. And speaking of Al, did you see his Swiss cheese-looking tie? It's <laughs> like... I don't know, that all it reminded me of was Swiss cheese. It didn't have holes in the middle, but it almost kinda looked on the sides like Swiss cheese.
2: I have to be honest, I did not see that until after I read your notes. And then the last time I watched the episode, I'm like, it's such a Swiss cheese tie. I wonder if they just threw that in there because of Swiss cheese brain. It was it was really good. Yeah, I like I like that. I love Al's fashion in this episode. The uh white outfit to where he had the uh black buttons. And there was like a weird little material sash over the buttons that he had a button. And I was like, it's so unfunctional, but you never know in the future what they're going to do for style. They're like, let's just add a patch here and a little sash here. And for me, it made it futuristic. And like the orange shirt he had, only every third button was buttoned. It was odd.
3: Now, see, I've read these coming of age futuristic stories like Hunger Games, and now I'm reading the Divergent series. And you see like Terminator and all these futuristic movies where they're kind of like dressed in all black. It, it's one way or the other. Either they, they go back to like Little House on the Prairie bland clothes where everyone's dressed the same. They're not the flashy futuristic clothing that we thought was going to be around in the 80s. But we do have lace up sneakers coming. So,
2: Oh yeah, the Back to the Future Nikes are coming. With the actual automatic laces? I know in 2015 I will be wearing my jeans inside out.
3: I wonder how long that's going to last for you because the pockets will not be functional. It'll be difficult. How do
2: you get your wallet out of your pocket? You say, hold on, I got a... Undo. Dig my pants. through my butt crack. Like yes. what do you do. It won't be pretty. Hopefully it doesn't <laughs> last much past two thousand fifteen.
3: <laughs> For an entire year Alby's gonna wear his pants inside out and have to figure out where to put his wallet. In his sock? In your in
2: your Nikes, in your Nike high tubs. Maybe we have to sew on an extra pocket on the inside so it'll be on the outside. I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna do it though. You're, you're, you you're have good. to start wearing a fanny pack to hold your wallet. <laughs> Hmm, as long as it had automatic zipping. <laughs> the Manny pack with auto zip. So after dinner, Gloria decides to run home and jump off the building.
3: It's a very bold move. I'm so upset I'm going to climb out the win- That's a scary way
2: to go. Yeah. More painful probably hitting the pavement. Than and it's pouring out. And it's only the second story, so she's probably just going to fracture a few bones or well, a lot of no,
3: bones. No, she well, she died. Oh, the I guess first you're right. She did die the first
2: time around. <laughs> it was pretty cool that Sam saved her. That was scary, though. It was because uh, it was a uh, real stuntman instead of fake stuntman, <laughs> real stuntman. It was real people up on that ledge, and it was kind of scary. I think the reason why it was raining is because it hides the safety harnesses, and they hit them pretty well. I didn't even notice. See, I get like so into the story. I do the first time. The first time I watch it, it's real. And then, you know, I do it three or four more times. Did you pull back for I, the technical I dissect aspect. It. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I did notice like some kind of safety harness wench in the shadow up in the corner. So yeah. uh, but, you know, you need those things because these aren't CG stuntmen. They're real people. You don't want them to get hurt.
3: Do you think it was Sam leaped in as a stuntman, leaping in to the stuntman?
2: (laughs) It might have been. That would be very crazy. Oh, no, that was in the 70s. Speaking of the stuntman episode, I noticed something in this episode. I don't know if you noticed it. Gloria's apartment. That was the same apartment that was in Disco Inferno. Exact same kitchen, exact same apartment. They just redressed it.
3: They just made it a decade earlier.
2: (laughs) It could have been the same apartment. There's no reason it couldn't have been. Yeah. Probably, but they reuse that set and just redecorate it. Once I figured that out, I couldn't unsee it. I did not notice. So they fooled me. So watch it again. And you'll be like, oh, it's the Disco Inferno apartment. He's like, I want to be a stunt man. (laughs) I'll have to rewatch it. And I think I've seen
3: Disco Inferno like four times now. So I I need to catch up. I need to to make it the same for what price gloria. Watch it a couple more times. Her makeup didn't run
2: when she was out in the rain. So it must have been waterproof makeup
3: waterproof makeup is amazing
2: until you go to wash it off i guess
3: soap it's not soap proof it's waterproof so i mentioned earlier that the seduction scene kind of bothered me it was weird it was weird to me because i feel like revenge wouldn't be like hi i'm a man like that i didn't think that was revenge for me i feel like they could have gone somewhere else with their revenge
2: back then if you were well maybe even today i guess if you're a heterosexual male that's very homophobic and you're attracted to someone and you find out that they are a man
3: well see but i know there was no way he could prove it but i feel like like there was not not as much shock factor if he was like hey see i'm a man you know what i mean like that would have been like the ultimate revenge but at the same time wouldn't telling buddy that samantha is a man like affect her life you would think like she's gonna come back and she still works for him So what, she comes back to work, and she really is a woman,
2: and do you think he just avoids her now? Well, my whole thought is that Buddy wouldn't tell anybody that she's really a man because he's already told people, you know, maybe in the break room that she's a hot chick, so then he would be embarrassed.
3: So for pride. Or
2: she stopped working for him because he's a total jerk. Well, she advances in the company, I believe.
3: Oh, right. Oh, yeah. She starts working for the so design part of it. Maybe so. that
2: actually helped her because those um, sexist men, or at least Buddy, he was vice president, gave her more of a shot because she was one of the guys.
3: Yeah, I guess so. I I just, I don't know. It was weird to me that I like that he punched him. I like that Sam <laughs> punched Buddy in the face because that like, was
2: deserved. Do You like the violence? Not normally, but he really deserved to be punched. I thought it was weird that they actually played the little birdies flying around his head sound effects. That
3: was kind of weird. I like the part where he's like, I'm a man and I'll prove it to you. And Buddy was like, no, no. It was a good scene. I just wish the revenge had been different. I don't know how I would have done it. Like, I I can't think of another way to do it, but I feel like it would have been
2: better a different way. She did not look like a man at all. Samantha did not look like a man. She was tall, but she was... Drop dead gorgeous. Right. So I don't know how many men would be deterred by the fact that she was actually a man.
3: Like I just wish that they could have somehow proven that Sam was well, uh, physically.
2: I mean he well, you just <laughs> wanted him to
3: No, no, but I mean like to Buddy, not for the screen. It's I just like, mean like Oh,
2: look at this. But th- there's nothing there because it's I, I know,
3: there. I know. I know well I know what it is there.
2: Did he have to sit down to pee? Do we know? I, I do not d- know
3: questions we need to <laughs> ask Don P. Belisario. It's one of those things like does he have to shave right didn't we have that from the first episode where he was clean shaving but there's he a no lot of shaving issues hair? yeah
2: yeah. we didn't see him shave very much in this episode
3: no we didn't at all he wasn't shaving his mustache in this episode
2: uh, i have to give credit to scott bacula and the guy who played buddy in this episode because the scenes where sam is trying to seduce buddy they were really close and really going it and they didn't hold back at all, which made the whole scene a little uncomfortable, a little funny, a little sexy, all at the same time. And if they hadn't have committed 100% to that scene, I don't think it would have worked.
3: No, it. they did really, really good. And I'm actually surprised I didn't bring that up because the commitment that they put into the scene is amazing. And they did so good, especially when I think Sam was sitting on Buddy's lap and they were all close. Buddy and, was
2: rubbing Sam's legs.
3: Yeah. And they did not look uncomfortable at all. They were all they were all in.
2: And that aired on 80s television, which is uh, kind of a milestone as far as I know. I know there had been uh, guys dressed in drag before, you know, Milton Berle, Um I think this
3: was the era that started that being okay.
2: A little bit before that, Jamie Farr as Klinger on MASH wore dresses, but he wasn't portraying a woman or... Being attracted to another man. It was just to get out of being in the army. But uh, this is the first time I can remember seeing a man dressed as a woman, acting like a woman, interacting with a man on television. Well, I
3: know that Rent um, was on Broadway in 89.
2: Okay, so, so about th- the same time.
3: Yeah, but I think that that was a big deal to have Angel as a crossdresser on Rent.
2: Um, Angel was a crossdresser? <laughs> have, you, <laughs> no, have you seen that? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, if you
3: haven't seen Rent, it's an amazing Broadway musical and yes, an amazing movie. Crying
2: Game came out around that time also, so... Yeah, I think that... Um, it was definitely the start of something.
3: Right. And I think there was a lot of gay awareness. I mean, obviously, sexuality is sexuality, and it's not going to change throughout the years, but I think as a society, we just started talking about it more in the 80s. People didn't want to hold back anymore.
2: Well, this was almost 1990, so people are evolving at this point. Right. At the end of the episode, Buddy mentions uh, Christine Jorgensen. Did you know who that was?
3: No, I I actually did not know who that was. I know that it was mentioned, so I looked it up, did a little research, and uh, she was the first person to become widely known in the United States for having a sexual reassignment surgery. Jorgensen grew up in the Bronx— And uh, shortly after graduating high school in 45, she was drafted into the army. So after she was out of the army and she did a lot of traveling, she actually heard about the transitioning surgery. And once she was in Denmark, she obtained special permission to undergo a series of operations. So she started her operations in 1951. That's a lot earlier than I thought it would have been.
2: So she was uh, probably uh, famous in pop culture at that time, but that's like a name I didn't know of at the time.
3: Well, in the early 1950s, when she got back from her surgery, she came back to the U.S. and was on the front page of the Daily News. Interesting. She became an instant celebrity. But she advocated for transgender people and became known for her directness and polished wit. So I guess she was kind of a cool person. Speaking of transgender, did you hear that Facebook now has a custom gender that you can pick where you can pick from a bunch of different words that describe what your gender is? And you can actually pick the pronoun that is appropriate to you, too.
2: That is awesome. That means we're making progress as a society. Yeah, it's nice that we are
3: accepting of any differences or likenesses as a whole.
2: It must be a real struggle, people that have a different gender than they're born with, to deal with those kind of simple things like filling out forms and checking a box.
3: Yeah, because do you go with how you feel or biologically what you are? I mean, How do you want to be referred? And I'm sure it's different from person to person.
2: It's a real struggle. I'm sure that a lot of people go through that they shouldn't have to. So things like that, getting more advanced, that's an awesome thing.
3: Yeah. And even on the Facebook thing, you can pick he, her, or there. So even if you're not sure if you want to be a he or her, like referred to as him or her, you can say there or if you aren't comfortable with one or the other. So I thought that was really cool that that was actually in the news the last couple of days.
2: So overall... What did you think of what price, Gloria?
3: I like this one. I really did. De- Deborah Pratt did really good.
2: She always does good. As mentioned before, we do have an interview with Deborah Pratt. And I'd like to say, while I was recording this interview, I had an epiphany and such a great feeling. I don't want to be dismissive or um, make fun of anybody's belief systems, but as I've mentioned before, my personal belief systems were based on moral lessons I learned from Quantum Leap and Star Trek. As you go through a lot of the episodes of Quantum Leap and see which ones were written by Deborah Pratt, a lot of the lessons I learned in life were from her writings. So for me, as I'm talking to her on the telephone, I realized I have a very unique opportunity that a lot of people don't get. For me, it was like meeting the person who made up my belief system. So whoever that may be for you, that's how I felt while I was talking to her and it was an amazing feeling and we had a great conversation and it's a once in a lifetime experience for me and I'm so glad that I got to talk to her.
3: That is such a concept you know to to talk to someone who has influenced your belief system and who influenced your formative years and and how you view the world that's that's really cool to talk to her and and realize that while you're talking to her
2: and uh there's an old saying you don't want to meet your heroes because they disappoint you she did not disappoint me at all and if i could have i would have kept her on the phone for hours just talking to her she was that amazing you just keep picking her brain <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so hopefully i get a chance to talk to her again but now you guys get to listen to the interview i did with dipper pro Deborah M. Pratt is a significant force in Hollywood. She's an American director, writer, television executive producer, and actress. She was executive producer for The Net for USA Network, co-executive producer for Tequila and Bonetti for CBS. She wrote multiple television series, including Magnum P.I. and Airwolf. She made her directorial debut with Cora Unashamed for the BBC, PBS, and Masterpiece Theaters, The American Collection. Ms. Pratt is a five-time Emmy nominee, a Golden Globe nominee, a recipient of the Lillian Gish Award for Women in Film, the Angel Award, the Golden Block Award, and six B.E.N. Awards. Deborah M. Pratt's vision is an inspiration to audiences worldwide, a master storyteller with a spiritual dream for a better world. Ms. Pratt breaks the mold of science fiction and creates a genre of science fantasy with the soul of the universe and a key to the human heart. Intricately layered with scientific fact and fascinating detail, The Vision Quest is a riveting journey into the future of our world. The books have a spiritual theme. Her latest book, Age of Eve, Return of the Nephilim, is published by Broadlit and was released February 26, 2013. The Vision Quest books and Age of Eve are available wherever books are sold. But we know Deborah Pratt best as the co-creator, co-producer, head writer, and the voice of Ziggy, from Quantum Leap. Well, thank you for joining us today, Miss Pratt. I would like to start off by just asking you, uh, how did the idea of Quantum Leap come about?
0: Don wanted to do an anthology, and it was the thirteen-letter dirty word that everybody was terrified of. He had also wanted to do a show about time travel. There was a book that he had tried to buy that had nothing to do with Quantum Leap, and I had been reading uh, a history of time and came across this whole concept of the fact that when um, particles leap, they basically co-exist for a moment in two places, and said to him, what if when he traveled in time, he only traveled in his own lifetime, and what if he, because time and space is limited, which was in this very deep, very wonderful book, he couldn't come in as a... A new person, you and I are talking on the radio, he couldn't come in as a third person. He had to replace one of us. And Don said, well, what what, what would that give us? And I said, well, first of all, like the great anthology shows of um, Thriller and, of course, The Twilight Zone, you would have what people come back to, which is a reoccurring character. And the cool thing about it, and then I said, do you remember a show um, that was on called the Loretta Young Show. And every week, Loretta Young would come out and introduce the show, but then she would go back and she started in every episode as a teacher, as a doctor, as a wife, as a whatever. I said, what if he stepped into these various lives and Don said, oh, wow, and he'd have to find out who he was and why it was there. And so then we kind of started to build it from there. And he wrote... Um, you know, the first episode making uh, Sam a scientist, and I was a real geek for colliders and particle accelerators and things like that. So I exposed him to how time travel could happen if you could shift your particles, but it always had to be from one existence into another. And those existences, like those original quarks in A Short History in Time, would have to flip out. And they would simultaneously change, one to be where the other one was. And it worked, obviously.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, great idea for a series, and it turned out to be an amazing series and uh, something that's in pop culture and everybody knows about. What's that like, being responsible for creating something that pretty much everybody on the planet knows about?
0: Um, You know, it's an honor in the sense that it's a great show. It's very morally based so that you have a hero And the hero goes out and makes the world a better place. It was exciting. It was exciting from a a creator's point of view to come up with something that made, you know, Thursday night or Wednesday night or whatever night we happened to be on. Because we were on five different nights during our, you know, 99-episode run. um, that made the world a little bit better. It gave people hope. The show was about hope, which I didn't find on much television these days. Uh, as a writer, it was a dream because I wasn't writing a doctor show every week or a cop show every week. You know, um, I could write wherever I wanted, from a drawing room comedy to a heavy drama to a socially informative storyline that set something about who we are as a society, who we are as people.
2: I think that's my favorite part of Quantum Leap is uh, all the episodes that have a moral or a message in them. Mm-hmm. And you're responsible for writing uh, a lot of them. I think all of your episodes usually have something to say and are about something. And that's uh, why we do this podcast now, is we examine each episode and we talk about uh, what morals, messages, or meanings we can get out of it. We really appreciate you uh, writing those episodes.
0: Thank you very much. I, I feel like entertainment is such an incredible medium of inspiration that you can, like I said, make the world a little better through music, through film. And television is so intimate in the fact that we are invited into people's homes to tell a story. And why not question life and make them think and see another perspective? And I think Don and the network and the studio were very nervous at first. I think the first episode I wrote that dealt with it was What Price Gloria, where... Sam leapt into a woman and then we got such a great response from that that when I said let's write him into a black man in pre-civil rights south they went wow okay yeah and we got to comment and I think that was the beauty of the show too the ability to comment on the world historically from the perspective of a person living in present day so you could we could talk about um, sexism and racism and all the isms that are out there. We did a show um, about gays. We did. I mean, it was very, very cutting edge for its time, but no one felt threatened by it because it had happened in the past. So it was a safe zone to to talk about life that still exists today and make you question those values, those morals, those realities, but from a safe distance.
2: Do you think any of the topics that were covered in Quantum Leap have gotten better over the last 25 years?
0: Well, they've definitely gotten better, but they're also backsliding. I mean, you look at a show like, again, What Price Gloria and Women's Rights, and right now that's a very, very hot topic in the fact that the government thinks they have the right to tell a woman what she can do with her body. You know, we're living in a time where that's a question of civil rights in that there are states right now that are trying to repeal what was fought for in um, in the civil rights movement. So, yes, we move forward, but at the same time, there are those who are very powerful and wealthy who would prefer us to move backwards, who would prefer to take away those voting rights and women's rights and um, our health issues. I mean, we did some pretty incredible shows And try to say something, and not just with the kisses in history, you know, but, you know, we talked about in a show I wrote, Seabright, about dumping garbage into the ocean. I mean, I always tried to interject some socially relevant information. In that case, it was just kind of in the background of a story, but it was a comment that Al made, or a comment that Sam made, that showed we have advanced because ships aren't allowed to do that anymore. However, there's a floating island of plastic bottles the size of like the state of Texas (laughs) in the ocean. So there are things that the show can still make you question and think about what's happening with the nuclear waste spill from Japan. You know, those kinds of things we need to keep. We have to keep evolving, I guess, is the
2: point. Do you see a day in the future that all these things will just seem logical to everyone and not just a few of us and uh, the world will be a better place?
0: Well, we would hope so, right? (laughs) I hope so. Um, But I think it's the responsibility of entertainment to bring to the surface the fact that it is not okay. The fact that we are still dealing with sexism and racism and, you know, uh, I mean, what's happening now in Russia with uh, Putin not wanting gays uh, and the Greeks not wanting gays, arresting gays, that that still goes on, that people can't choose their way of life. In countries like India and the Middle East, all through the Middle East, that women's rights are threatened and jeopardized all the time. So, you yeah, know, we're evolving as a planet, and I think entertainment is an incredible information tool, information education through entertainment. Um, we don't need to hit you over the head, and I think Quantum Week did that so beautifully. We told a story and in that story, you as the audience had the opportunity to watch it and decide what side of that story you stood on. And we didn't judge you for your choice. We just wanted you to know we get it, and you should too. So, uh,
2: You were co-creator, co-executive producer, head writer, and you even acted on Quantum Leap. What was that like, your experience working on Quantum Leap, being a co-producer, and what were your responsibilities, and uh, how did you like it?
0: You know, it was, again, it was a dream come true. A, to see something that you imagined come to life and, and have a life is like creating a child. Um, every day I went to work and, you know, I would get in and usually try to work on whatever script I was writing on. I would then go to uh, the set and and check on making sure everything was there, then making sure the cast was great and Scott and Dean were Uh, great. And then I would come back to a writing session where people would pitch shows or we would talk to the writers about the shows that we were developing so that we knew where the season was. Um, From there, you go to the editing bay and sit and um, edit a show. So you had to carry about six shows in your head at one time. The one you were prepping, the one you, well, the one you were writing, the one that you were prepping, the next one that was shooting, the one that was Uh, being edited, the following one that was being spotted for effects and music. It would be great to go over and sit in the scoring stage and hang out with Ray Bunch, Belton Ray Bunch, and and in the beginning my post and really talk about what you needed for a scene to embellish it, Um, to sit with David Belisario who was amazing at acquiring... The music of the time, which, you know, I I don't know that I'll ever forgive Universal for stripping the original music out of the show uh, when it went into DVDs, because they didn't acquire the DVD rights because DVDs didn't exist at the time. So the music that's in those shows is, in many cases, different from the original shows. Those kinds of things but it was a great day and then that day didn't end until very late because then you were looking at dailies from what was shot that day and then at night on whatever night we were on you would sit down and you'd watch the show and check the numbers to make sure that the audience had found us and yet again and how we were being received and where we sat in the Nielsen so it's your life but it was a good life Scott and Dean were great people we had a great staff we had a great crew we launched the careers of some incredible people who wanted to do the show because it was the last of the real guest star shows as far as i can see you know now they have these big ensemble pieces and it's very hard to be a guest star on a big ensemble piece because they're servicing so many people well it was scott and dean and mostly it was scott so when you were a guest star on the show you carried that show right along with scott to tell the story It was a full day.
2: Talking more about the music, do you know if there is a Blu-ray project coming up eventually where Quantum Leap could be on Blu-ray and if Universal would pay for the music rights for the Blu-rays? Because so many fans are upset about the replace music.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's something that I tried to fight for, but, you know, everybody now knows the money that's made and they want their cut and they want their share and the powers that be are not willing to give that up. They would rather have us, the audience, and I put myself in that category, um, not get what was so wonderful about the piece. So I don't know if, they're, if they could find a way around that, but to, to own the rights to a sound in perpetuity for all mediums that exist now and will exist in the future is a hard thing to sign off on. Mm. And uh, hopefully they would. I think they would. that would make people want to buy the DVDs and be willing to pay for Blu-ray, if you wanted them to be unique, that's what they should be.
2: Right. Uh, I think if they had the original music and, you know, some added content, some bonus features, uh, people would scarf them up. I know a lot of people online, uh, basically, they buy the DVDs, but the episodes without the original music, they try to find them by hook or by crook somehow to hear the original music.
0: Oh, yeah. I have to say, I, I, I probably shouldn't say this, but... Um, uh, one of the fans, and I don't have his name in front of me, I thank him every day, had recorded on air a VHS of every episode in its original format, even with the commercials, which are frickin' hysterical, <laughs> um, from the early 90s, and um, and gave me a set. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they're beautiful. I mean, they're absolutely beautiful, because they weren't digital. They were, you know, they were still analog and they had all the original music on them. So I'm converting them, because we just don't know how long these technologies last. That's a sad thing. These is what kind of life they have, and I guess it depends on how you store them.
2: Mm, te- um, temperature and such.
0: Temperature, right. But just over the years, it's not... You know, film, you shoot a film, and we did shoot on film, which is, I think, one of the beauties of the show. It was shot on film. Um, but film, you can... You can take a film that was shot 100 years ago and pull a print off the of negative. No one knows if if VHS or digital will do that. It's just too soon to know how long those will uh, stay before they correct.
2: It's very lucky that they were filmed on film, so uh, one day they can be on Blu-ray and, and maybe formats we haven't even dreamed of yet.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: Just a quick technical question about that, uh, curiosity. Um, was it filmed in the 4x3 format, or was it filmed in widescreen and then cropped to a 4x3 format? Do you remember?
0: And I remember it was 4x3. It was shot for television. Um, I know when I directed Cora Unashamed, we did you know, a film frame, and then we aired it. But I, as I remember, it was 4x3, at least in the beginning. It may have changed over the course of the show. It may have. I'm trying to sit here and reimagine sitting and watching dailies in what format they were in, but as I remembered, it was 4 by
2: 3 It's always uh, funny to see them in high def now on uh, television, and uh, mm-hmm. you see little things that nobody could have possibly seen back then on the uh, old-style video screens back then. Oh, like what? Um, just uh, little um, maybe production things that you weren't supposed to see uh one that comes to mind, it's silly, but from uh, the episode on the train, the lady has her uh, blouse taped onto her, and you can see it in high definition pretty clearly. And just <laughs> just different strange things, you know. That I always look for them. I wanted to ask, you know, they say write what you know. Do a lot of the things you wrote about come from your own life experiences?
0: I'm sure parts of them do. Um, and there are elements. And I'll give you a, an example. I was... When I wrote, I think, was it Song for the Soul? No, I can't remember the title. The episode where Sam left into the black teenager and they had a girls' group.
2: I think that was a Song for the Soul.
0: Okay. Oh, good memory. And um, she was fighting with her father because he was trying to control her and control her uh, singing for the church versus singing in popular culture. And at that time, I was... Fighting with my husband about something similar, and the fights came out in the episode, literally almost word for word. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So, in that respect, yes. Was I, uh, you know, was I singing in the church choir? And my father was a reverend. No, but but you can take the core of your life emotionally and translate it into reality to tell the same story. The story is, let me grow up, don't control me, um, let me be who I want to be, and just love me because I love you for who I am, and, and let me have my wings to fly. And that was, uh, I, I think, a, a well-received message. Certainly there was sexual harassment coming up through Hollywood ranks in my years here that played out in um, uh, in shows, and racial and he, what price Gloria? And I'll tell you a very funny story. So I'm writing What Price Gloria, and in the last scene, he's got to tell his boss that I'm a man. Remember that scene? Yeah, very and he funny. And "What do you mean?" He goes, "I'm a man." So then I realized I've never been a man. So I went into the writers' room and sat everybody down, and I said, "Tell me your most... Uh, how did I put it? It was what was what story would be the most male." of you realizing the difference between, you know, that you are a man. And the stories that I got were hysterical. And it came down to, you know, having an erection the first time in high school and having to walk around with your books, and all of it was in there. (laughs) Because it was what made this guy know that these are things that only a guy would know, that a woman would never think of. But I couldn't have thought of them had I not had a great writing staff that I worked with to say, okay, guys. Get up, here's Donut, tell me your story. (laughs) How to pitch a ball, how to, you know, what sports means to me. Uh, There were great stories. We were a great team in that way. And it was fun for me because I got to learn. Now, I had children, so when Sam um, leapt into a teenage pregnant girl, poor Scott, he was in labor for three freaking days. Um,
2: (laughs) That was in eight and a half months, right?
0: In eight and a half months. Uh, But I bought him what was called a maternity belly, and he could strap it on it. It was about 40 pounds of weight. And it had hot water bottles in it. And it had pellets that laid up against your kidneys and made you go to the bathroom. And you, he had to walk differently in it. So it was a real education for Scott, too, how to wear a dress and what it felt like to sit on a cold chair wearing a dress and high heels and how to have a baby. What does it feel like to be in labor for hours and hours and hours? So, yes, I used what I knew about being a woman, about being black, about being a singer, about and and then I used what Scott had to offer, uh, because he was so talented.
2: He seemed like he was game for anything.
0: He loved the challenge. He really did. And Dean was an amazing actor, and when we wrote a couple of shows for him, where he really had to, to show his stuff, he came forward like... Nobody had ever seen. And my, my favorite story is I wrote an episode for Troyan, who was four years old at the time, and, and Dean knew her and had come up as a child actor, and he he scolded me and said, why are you doing this to her? Go let her be a little girl. Don't take away her childhood. And so literally I turned down all kinds of offers for Troyan very early on and said, I so respect this man, and if you want to be an actress when you grow up, You got it, because she's a natural. She is a natural. If you watch Pretty Little Liars, she's amazing.
2: Yeah, she's doing pretty good right now.
0: She is. She's doing great. And and, um, Nick is doing terrific. He's in college studying to be um, a computer engineer. I'm blessed. I'm very blessed.
2: Uh, It's all about the children.
0: Yeah. You know, and Quantum Leap is one of my children. What can I say?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Are there any issues that you didn't tackle on Quantum Leap that you wish you would have?
0: Oh, my gosh. So many. So many. I mean, and we did really well, but I have to tell you, that show could have gone on forever. It was just so on its own. They moved it so many times because they had nothing like it no lead ins, no lead outs. You know, the, the rumor is always that Don's going to bring it back on Sci Fi Channel. I hope they do that. I really do. I, I actually set it up for him in um, the third episode of the trilogy where Sammy Joe Fuller, we find out that Sammy Joe Fuller is Sam's daughter and that she's in the future working for the organization trying to bring him home. I had actually wanted to do a motion picture about that. But if they do a new TV series, I think they're crazy not to do Sammy going after her father.
2: Is that the question you get most often? I know uh, just doing the Quantum Leap podcast, we get asked all the time if we have any knowledge of a movie or a rebooted series coming out, because everybody just loves it so much they want more.
0: It's really difficult uh, again, I've I heard very recent rumors that Don's trying to do uh, a reboot, either a reboot of the series or a spinoff with Sammy Joe. I started writing a, a novel and uh, was talking to Universal about doing a feature film, and it got stalled because, I guess, the Sci-Fi Channel wanted to do this, wanted to do it as a TV series and somehow or another Universal NBC Sci-Fi. So many people own it that it's really hard to get it away because everybody knows it's still a viable arena.
2: Yeah, I think it would be a hit.
0: In whatever form, in whatever form. it just If they capture the, the truth of what the series was about, which is hope, it's about somebody stepping into your shoes and making your life better, saving the person that you couldn't save, going back in time and undoing a wrong and making it right.
2: It's uh, just an amazing show, and I love it. I've seen it all the way through, and uh, my podcasting partner is watching it for the first time, and she's loving it. And um,
0: it is timeless.
2: It is. It really is, and uh, it doesn't look like an old show at all. Maybe that's partly because each episode is almost a period piece.
0: Exactly. No, we we got away with it, and you know, even the right. I just I thought I was doing a new show for NBC this season called Timeless because they said write another you know time travel show. And it was very different from Quantum Leap, but... um,
2: What happened there?
0: uh, They decided they didn't want to do time travel. So I'm talking to Universal about um, other avenues for it, you know, if it's not NBC. But it just seemed like the best and the right place to go.
2: It would be amazing to see that come to fruition one day, hopefully. If not, is there plans of maybe making a book out of it or something?
0: Uh, Yes. You know, I just, they own the rights at this point. That's why, you know, I wrote um, The Vision Quest, and we're doing a, a re-release, hopefully, this uh, summer. And I think it's because we couldn't afford to go to the future in Quantum Leap. I wrote a whole series about Earth's future and, you know, created a young hero. And and the, the kind of the empowerment of humanity against machines is really what the vision quest is about. So it's something to, to check out. And then...
2: Um, you also have Age of Eve.
0: I have Age of Eve, yes. And another uh, YA series that will probably not come out until 2015 called The Feel that I'm co-authoring with a woman named Lynn Eisenberg. So, you know, I'm busy writing. I've got uh, films that I'm trying to do, but it seems like it's time for me to come back to TV. I think I bring something very unique to the world of television because in everything I write, there is a tug at our social consciousness. And I'm not ever going to beat you up, but I'm going to make you think.
2: And that's what good television's about, I think. I agree. Why do you think Quantum Leap has remained so popular for 25 years?
0: Um, It's great storytelling. Sam is a very compelling everyman that everybody that watches not only falls in love with him, but thinks that could be me. You know, not that everybody's a genius scientist or anything. But again, it's a show about hope. Uh, I mean, the letters that we used to get from people were so incredible. There was one episode, and I can't think of the name of the episode, but um, the family had a child who was dying, and they were on, I don't know, a cancer ward or something, and the, um, the family had gotten together, and then the rest of the ward got together, and they watched the episode, and at the end of the episode, they realized that they had given up on their child. And the show made them realize not to. And somehow or another, that rally to that child actually saved his or her life, her life. And to this day, I still get emails and letters and Facebooks updating me on that, the fact that because they didn't give up, that child went on to live a life. Amazing. That's pretty powerful.
2: Every little decision you make really does affect the future. That's <laughs> Okay, thank you so much, and uh, really a big fan and very grateful. Thank you so much. Well,
0: thank
2: you so much. Didn't I tell you that was an amazing interview? Thank you so much, Miss Deborah Pratt. She is Quantum Leap. That was awesome to hear
3: her thoughts and everything on the series.
2: And if you go to quantumleappodcast.com, there is more of the interview there that was a little too spoilery for this episode. But if you have already seen all of Quantum Leap, then you can go and listen to the full Deborah Pratt interview and listen to how we talk about what she thought about the ending of the show. Man, I got to wait to listen to that. (laughs) You got to wait a few years, but then you can listen to it. But it was great to talk to her, and again, a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and it makes all the work we've done on the Quantum Leap podcast worth it, just, just for that, if nothing else. All right, we have some feedback. We have an email from Robbie Bonham.
3: Hi, from Ireland. Hi, guys. Just a quick mail from across the Atlantic on this tiny little island, the same size as Indiana, don't you know, to say I've only recently discovered your podcast and am enjoying it enormously. I was a fan from Quantum Leap's first episode, probably broadcast here a few months after its debut in the States. And it remains to this day one of my favorite shows. It's nice to have a regular podcast for a show that's no longer running. And I hope to hear you get through all five seasons. Keep up the good work and happy leaping. Robbie.
2: That is awesome. People listening to us in Ireland. Hi, Robbie. I love Ireland. I love Irish stuff. I love Irish music.
3: I love how you talk about Ireland like you've been there. We would love to visit Ireland someday.
2: I've never been there. (laughs) I love Irish stuff. Well, Irish pub music on my Pandora. Always. Celtic music. I love all that stuff. But it's really cool that you're uh, listening in Ireland. That's the plan. We're going to do all five seasons and uh, maybe more. And listen along and
3: keep sending us emails. Let us know what you think.
2: We want to hear from you. So thank you very much, Robbie, for that email. And please keep uh, writing us and uh, make sure you keep in contact with us. Uh, we have a quick message from Hayden.
3: I got a very nice surprise when I got home today. My Quantum Leap comic book was waiting for me at the door. Thanks so much, Albie and Heather. Can't wait to read it.
2: So Hayden won the Quantum Leap comic book for his essay You still have a chance to win a Quantum Leap comic book if you send us an essay, What Quantum Leap Means to Me. And uh, I think there's about five left. Ooh, they're dwindling down, guys. Once all those comic books are handed out, then uh, we will have a grand prize in the essay giveaway for autographed art prints of Quantum Leap comic books.
3: We also asked a question to our Facebook Quantum Leap podcast community. Do you think Quantum Leap is sci-fi, fantasy, or both, and why? Why?
2: Hayden McQueenie said, Quantum Leap is its own genre.
3: Derek Carter said, I agree 100%. It's got everything. Action, suspense, drama.
2: Mischief Maker Studios said, I was thinking the very same thing.
3: Rich Ladwig said, how about a new category? Just as sitcom, situation comedy, let's have sci-com." But truthfully, during the series run, it hit every category except adult porn. Historical, documentary, comedy, fantasy, drama, action, sport-themed... Future-based, theological, moral, ethics, philosophical, and of course, romance. I truly believe that is why the show was such a success to such a varied audience, and why those of us that really loved it can still talk about it all these years later, as if it was just on last night. Okay, the soapbox is available for whoever is next.
2: Very good point, Rich. You always see it just slammed right into that sci-fi fantasy category. But it really is its own thing it is it's it's got everything it's almost uncategorizable i have to say I like
3: the concept of scicom that's a that's a pretty cool idea
2: it is funny but i like that answer uh gail bank says love the show
3: okay monica fisher said it's been my favorite for years it has everything one could want in a show best show ever
2: warren phoenix johnson says if it must be pinned down it's obviously sci-fi oh and yes i am a nerd
3: we're all nerds
2: it's okay that's why we're here <laughs>
3: Bobby Malecki said never came out with a rumored movie. Was there a movie rumored?
2: Yeah, a lot of uh, movie rumors. That's how a lot of people find us, trying to find the Quantum Leap movie. Well, at least we're keeping it going. We're keeping it alive, hopefully bringing it back, rejuvenating it. Andrew Carden says, Multi-genre really because that show dealt with many issues and various subjects and had kisses with history as well as historical facts like Ford tripping down the steps of Air Force One or documenting the Watts riots. It was also entertainment in that it told unique stories and was funny.
3: Yeah, it's definitely multi-genre. I agree. Alex S. Caden said, best show ever. After MASH, of course.
2: (laughs) MASH was pretty good. You ever watch MASH? Some of it. I didn't (sighs) watch it all. I have it all on DVD if you're ever bored. Lucas Capel says, it's speculative fiction. The genre that covers both sci-fi and fantasy.
3: Teresa L. Ryder said, science fiction.
2: Plain and simple. And Naomi Feliciano says, what I do like about the show is the history.
3: Yeah, they do touch on so many different things. I mean, history is obviously a big part of it. And science fiction with the time travel and a little bit of fantasy. It's It really is a multi-genre show. There, it, it, it is kind of its unique own thing.
2: For me, time travel can fit into at least two different categories, sci-fi or fantasy. And for me, it depends on the method of the time travel. Uh, for example, if you build a time machine out of a DeLorean, that's technology that helps you travel through time. It's science fiction. If you just get hit on the head with a rock and end up in the past, that's fantasy.
3: If you go into a closet and hold your fist really tight in a dark space, is that fantasy or sci-fi?
2: For me, that would be fantasy. <laughs> You're talking about about time. Yeah. Great movie. We just watched it. We recommend it. Yeah, was good. Um, just came out on Blu-ray. It's a great, great movie about time. But for me, that would be fantasy, even though it was in the science fiction section when I bought the Blu-ray.
3: So you're saying if it's technology based, it's science
2: fiction to me. Yes. And if it's just you wish it or you can do it by looking at a picture, it's fantasy. Hmm. So about time, butterfly effect, fantasy, back to the future, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, sci-fi.
3: I like your explanation.
2: So that's for me.
3: So you think Quantum Leap is sci-fi?
2: I don't know. Uh, I would say it's sci-fi because of the method of time travel, because he actually stepped into the quantum leap accelerator and vanished.
3: But if you're only looking at that point of the show, there's so much more to the show. Right.
2: I would say it's mostly fantasy because this God, time, fate, whatever would be in the fantasy genre. So if somebody's controlling it, then uh, I would say, so this might be the one thing that for me fits in the sci-fi slash fantasy. Did you ever think you'd combine the two? No, not at all. I think they're both separate genres myself, but this has everything. Like all of our uh, people in the Quantum Leap Podcast community are saying, it's really everything. And I think that's one of the reasons why it makes the show so good. There are many ways to contact us. First off, you can go to QuantumLeapPodcast.com and find out all about the Quantum Leap Podcast and how to get a hold of us.
3: Or you can join us on our Facebook community at Facebook.com slash Podcast, where we ask questions all the time and, and post Pictures and we really do connect with everybody on there and and try and see what you guys want to hear on the show and and really get your input. So that's a really great way to connect with us.
2: And if you're looking to follow more people on Twitter, we are on Twitter at Quantum Leap Pod,
3: and you can also email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail dot com.
2: If you have anything to say about Quantum Leap or the Quantum Leap Podcast in general, please give us a call at seven zero seven eight four seven six six eight two. That is our voicemail line and you might just end up on the show.
3: And recently we started an Instagram account and our username is Quantum Leap Podcast. So you can follow us on there too. And on any of those, we let you know when a new show is out and uh, if anything's going on with our show, you can pretty much stay connected with us and get all of our updates through any of those. Any way you want to contact us or get in touch with us, we love to hear from you guys. And we love
2: interacting with our listeners. So if you send us a Facebook message or a tweet, we usually get right back to you. And um, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank everybody that has liked our Facebook page because we are now over 1,200 likes. That's double since the last show. Dude, that's awesome.
3: We are like, all of a sudden, Quantum Leap is huge in the Facebook community. (laughs) Well, I think
2: everybody that loves it, all they really have to do is find out that we have a podcast and they like it. But it's uh, about letting people know about it. So if you could share our page, with other people and let them know that there's a Quantum Leap podcast out there. That would be great. Spread the word. Also, if you'd like to meet us in person, and we'll be traveling to Megacon in Orlando, Florida, March 21st through 23rd, we will be there and uh, we will be meeting our listeners.
3: And there's also going to be crazy awesome guests there, like John Barrowman and Eve Miles and the rest of the Torchwood crew, and Carl Urban's going to be there.
2: Bones. Yeah. And-
3: I think James Marsters is going again to uh, Megacon. Eliza
2: Um, the guys from Comic Book Men. Um, but I'm really excited for all the Torchwood people.
3: But you guys are obviously going to come just to see us.
2: Just to see the Quantum Leap podcast crew.
3: Exactly. We'll be- but we will be there. So if you guys want to come out to a really cool
2: convention, they, Megacon is usually pretty awesome. Heather, Serenity, and myself will be at Megacon. And uh, don't be afraid to come up to us and talk with us. We'd love to meet you. And uh, we're looking forward to it. We'll be the ones in the Quantum Leap podcast t-shirts. Our daughter will probably be dressed in some kind of
3: Serenity Firefly Borg something, probably. I- I'm trying to get my creative juices going for that.
2: We have a new contributor to the Quantum Leap podcast. Ooh. Hayden McQueenie has become such a part of the show that we decided to give him his own slot. So we have an article written by Hayden McQueenie and read by John Buchanus.
4: just say i think what price gloria must have been the episode that everyone working on the show was dying to make it just seems like so much fun apart from poor scott bacula having to take part in that masochistic blinding ritual the humor in the episode was a joy to watch hal being smitten by sam sam trying his hardest to get used to the new clothing such as the shoes from hell the constant dirty look sam and gloria got from the other secretary for showing their affection mistaken as being romantic The men perving on Sam's very unfeminine walk, Sam replying to constant male advances with aggression, and of course, freaking out and beating up Buddy. But most of all, the special effects really jumped in quality this episode. It's the first time we see an image chambered door, not counting the invisible door from the pilot. Al was passing through more objects, and the mirror shots were brilliant. They must have really wanted to emphasize the absurdity of Sam having a woman's aura by having the aura being seen as much as possible. I think this episode has the most mirror shots of any episode throughout the series. And they did such a good job in this case that I really believed it was Sam's reflection. The putting on lipstick mirror shot is my favorite. But honorable mention goes to when Sam is getting dressed for work and Gloria helps him. An interesting bit of trivia is that Gene Sagel, who played Gloria, has an identical twin sister. So in this scene, the mirror actually is a window with Scott Bakula and Gene on one side and Lorenz Chabet and Liz Segel, on the other acting as their reflections. Can you imagine how long they must have rehearsed the choreography to pull these mirror shots off as well as they did? It just goes to show how committed everyone who worked on the show was to make the show as good as it was. Something also jumped out at me at my most recent viewing of What Price Gloria. This leap caused Al a great deal of distress due to falling in love with Sam. Yet after Sam has saved Gloria... And Al debriefs Sam on what happened to Gloria and Samantha in the future, Al is much more relaxed and comfortable around Sam. He claims because this is because Dr. Beeks made it acceptable that love is part of a friendship, which it is. But do you think he's telling the complete truth? I don't think that his anxiety would have subsided that much with one simple lightbulb moment. Rather, I think by this stage, those working at the project have tweaked their neutral link so that Al could see through the aura to see Sam as himself. We have to remember that Al's not allowed to tell Sam anything unnecessary about the goings-on of the project, so he wouldn't bring it up. Also on the subject of all things mental, we know that Gloria and Samantha will eventually become car designers where they currently work, and that Samantha will end up running the whole division, which I think was Buddy's job. But I think it's Sam's act of revenge, which Ziggy thought up, by the way, more proof that Ziggy is female, which started a chain reaction to tip Buddy's mental health over the edge. After all, after Samantha leaves back, Nobody would believe Buddy when he claimed that she is a man, and if he pushes hard enough, it could be enough to drive him insane, or at the very least make everyone else think that he's insane, and thus have forced him out of the company. Karma is a real B-word, isn't it? Since Rs came up in my discussion about the Quantum Leap episode, What Price Gloria, the more I've been thinking about them in the context of the Quantum Leap universe, the more interesting I found them, so I thought the topic of Ors would be worth analyzing and discussing. A word of warning... You can take the blue pill and stop listening here, or you can take the red pill and embrace the truth. Let's remember when Sam leaps, his body completely replaces the body of the Leap-E, which ends up in the waiting room at Project Quantum Leap. What remains is the manifestation of the Leap-E's physical aura. This surrounds Sam and gives him the illusion to nearly everyone around him of being the Leap-E. This explains why Sam's mirror image is that of the Leap-E. But there is so much more to it than just appearance. The aura also completely changes Sam's voice, so that anything he says would be heard as being said in the Leapy's voice. This would be completely essential in order for everyone to believe that he is the Leapy, and so that he can complete his mission. Even when Sam is singing, everyone around him would only be hearing the Leapy singing voice. So this makes me wonder, since Sam is such a good singer, if he leapt into someone completely tone deaf, if he was to sing, would the aura sound in tune, or to continue to come across as the Leapy not being able to carry a tune in a bucket? Just the same, if Sam wasn't a good singer but leapt into one, would the aura come with an auto-tune not to ruin the disguise? What if Sam leapt into somebody who stuttered or somebody who spoke with a strong foreign accent? Would these things carry through the aura during Sam's speech? What if he leapt into somebody who didn't speak English at all? Would the aura be able to translate Sam's speech into the Leapy's native tongue? Since the aura affects two of the senses to those around Sam, it is reasonable to suggest that the other senses would be affected as well. Would Sam smell like himself? Would he smell like the Leap B? That, I think, would depend on the affecting Leap B's odor in the first place. Personally, I think that if a person's odor is caused by a person's body, for example, bad breath could be the cause of poor oral hygiene or halitosis foot odor by sweaty feet, it is reasonable to think that when the body is removed as Sam leaps in, the smell could disappear as well. But if the smell is caused by some outside source, such as perfume, then it would probably still linger around the aura. What would a person who touches Sam's hand really be feeling? Let's use Samantha's aura as an example. Would they feel the incredibly smooth, soft touch of Samantha's hand? Or would they feel Sam's more coarse hands caused by his physical labor? He grew up on a dairy farm, after all. It's incredibly interesting to note that while Sam's body is generally very different from that of the E, he still manages to fit into the E's clothes perfectly. Let's take Samantha as an example. Sam has a much wider frame, so the clothes should be bursting at the seams. And he doesn't have any breasts, so they really should not be able to be held up. And yet he still manages to get into them and move freely in them. This makes me think that maybe the entire world around Sam itself is a projection of the aura that surrounds Sam. And that once the clothes are close enough to Sam to break through the aura, they change to tailor to Sam's bodily needs. This could prove comical if a person who is able to break through the aura and see Sam as Sam were to watch Sam get dressed or undressed. If you have seen the film Shallow How, the scene where Gwyneth Paltrow removes her panties illustrates the idea perfectly. This idea of the aura being a projection is very mathematical, a bit like how the Matrix changes the point of view of everybody who's inside of it. If we consider that in mathematics, a function works like a computer program, where the numbers go in and the function does something to it, and the numbers come out, possibly changed, then every point that is taken up by Sam goes through an aura function. And gives out a corresponding point that everyone else sees this explains why if sam does something to himself there is a corresponding change to the aura even when there shouldn't be a perfect example is when sam curls his hair and samantha's much longer hair which really sam shouldn't be able to touch also ends up curled this might also suggest that if sam as samantha were to get a haircut then the hairdresser would see feel and be touching samantha's hair and a corresponding amount of hair would really be being cut off of Sam's head. It is also interesting to note that whatever Sam does to himself during a leap shouldn't affect Leapy at all. So when Sam leaps out and the host leaps back, these afflictions should really disappear from the aura. This could prove problematic. Let's use Samantha as an example again. Since it was really Sam's hair that was curled, when he leaps out and Samantha with her uncurled hair leaps back, really her hair should change to be straight right before the eyes of anyone who was watching but it also could prove to be very beneficial. Sam committed a crime by assaulting Buddy, and if he wanted to, and I believe he is arrogant enough to, he could try to have Samantha arrested once he came to. But since Sam is the one who assaulted him, any evidence of the assault, such as bloody knuckles or a broken hand, should have disappeared when Sam leapt out. And so if Samantha were interviewed and examined by the police, she wouldn't have had any trace of it and would therefore be found innocent. There are so much more I could talk about with Aura's. And don't get me started on the auras of genitals, especially the auras of the opposite sex. But it will mix with concepts from later on in the series. So I will stop here. I hope you found this as interesting as I did and would like to join in on some discussions with me on the Facebook page. That is if your brains haven't exploded yet and you don't regret taking the red pill.
2: Thank you, Hayden. That was really great. It was awesome to hear your take on what price Gloria.
3: I always look forward to what Hayden has to say. Heather, I understand you have some trivia? I do. I do. The actor who played Parker on the blind date who ended up marrying Gloria, his name is Greg Berger, and he's actually a very accomplished voice actor. And he's been in many animated shows and movies, including Men in Black, Star Wars, The Clone Wars, Monsters University, Batman, The Brave and Bold, The Simpsons, and many, many more. His most famous, though, is playing the voice of Odie in Garfield and Friends.
2: Oh, that's awesome.
3: Yeah, it's pretty cool. Voice acting is awesome. To have to portray a character just through your voice without being able to use your facial expressions and hands, and I think that's really cool. Little fun fact, um, Gene Seagal, who played Gloria, was actually born only seven days before the leap date.
2: Oh, wow. That's a coincidence.
3: Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Lorraine Chabot um, could also be seen as Samantha's mirror image in future episodes, Shock
2: Theater. Ooh, Shock Theater is a good one. And there'll be a lot of cameos from past Leapies in that episode.
3: I guess if you have a good one. Oh, so they like, oh, I'm I'm not even going to ask. I'm not even going to ask. It's going to be good. I know we already talked about it, but this was originally supposed to be the season premiere for season two, but they actually aired it later in the season
2: instead of the first one. So
3: I don't know why they did that. Do you know why they
2: did that? I don't know. If anybody knows, please let us know.
3: They actually named this episode after a movie called What Price Glory in
2: 1952. I've never seen that.
3: Me neither. I wonder what it's about. Um, I'm not sure.
2: Something to watch, though.
3: So this is the first time that Sam leaps into a woman, obviously, but it's also the first time that he leaps into someone who's not wearing any clothes. Hmm. But, but that's a shock. I wonder how it is like to look down and be like, "Well, those are boobs." I don't. I think... mean, I know what that's like every day. But I mean, <laughs> to not to not know to not have that, and then all of a sudden have them.
2: At, at some points in my life, I have had man boobs, so I kind of know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm doing. I don't much, think that's the same thing. I'm doing much better now.
3: So there's a little timing issue um, in this episode. I'll tell Sam that Gloria is going to commit suicide on October 16th, but that's actually the leap date and. Sam's definitely in Samantha's body for at least a couple days. So that's a little
2: inconsistent. Yeah, there was maybe three days that I can think of at least. So it would have been more like the 19th, not the 16th. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a timing error, I guess. It might be one of those things where when they went to do the title card, they said, what date is it? And looked up in the script that line, in fact, from Al and just got it wrong there.
3: He skimmed through and said, oh, look, October 16th. That's what we're going with.
2: Now, would you like to see in a future release, maybe on Blu-ray or 4K, of Quantum Leap for them to go in and fix little things like that? Or you think no. it should stay the same?
3: I think that it's good in all its quirks. Because, like, where do you draw the line?
2: You don't add people in the background.
3: No, but I mean, like, if you start messing with it, like, where do you stop? You know what I'm saying? So
2: we love it, warts and all. Exactly. All right.
3: Um, And also, a little error, Sam mentions President's Day. I guess President's Day was not even around wasn't created until the 1970s.
2: The way I took it was when Sam mentioned President's Day, Gloria was like, President's Day had like a weird look on her face. Like, I've never heard of that. So that might be just like mentioning microwave popcorn or something. So he said something he shouldn't have as a time traveler. See, I didn't know
3: that. I would have totally mentioned President's Day and not known that it wasn't around until the 70s. And for our last uh, little fun fact here. On October 16th, 1961, that's the leap date. And Sam says that Roger Maris is about to break Babe Ruth's home run record. Well, Maris actually hit his record-breaking 61st home run over two weeks earlier on October 1st. So they were a little off there.
2: Whoops. They didn't have Google. Not as bad as Disco Inferno, all those mistakes. But, uh,
3: you know, little things like that are going to happen. Right. They would have seriously had to have, like, an entire team... They probably had an entire team, but that much, that many more people going through all the library books to find out the dates and hope they're right.
2: (laughs) Going through library books. Well, you know, like
3: encyclopedias.
2: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I understand the concept, but it's just so funny that we don't do that kind of stuff anymore. There's no card catalogs. We just rent something on our phone from the library.
3: Totally learned about card catalogs in school, though. Silly. Do you
2: know the Dewey Decimal System?
3: I learned about that in school.
1: I've played a woman before. Uh That wasn't a woman. That was kind of a... A transvestite. But um, what's the
4: hardest part about really trying to sell a woman?
1: Well, I don't have to really sell a woman like Dustin Hoffman did in Tootsie. Mm -hmm. But for me, the hours being in the heels, uh, it's just very uncomfortable. I I can't say that I look forward to the clothes and to the the drapings because uh, uh, the earrings are very uncomfortable. And the clothes are just tight sorry you know the periods of is tight and i don't know how the women do it it's you know you're bound up all day long and boy when the day's over and you're taking those stockings off and that getting out of that bra <laughs> it's funny they do it for us and i don't
4: think we deserve it
2: <laughs> in the next episode of the quantum leap podcast we talk about the quantum leap episode blind faith sam leaps into a concert pianist And he happens to be blind
1: we are in new york city today is february 6 1964 right andrew ross is the ray charles of classical
4: music you don't understand what what it's like to be told by someone that that you that you have no talent that you that you'll never amount to anything and that and that you're not pretty enough for anyone to ever want
0: I kill myself putting you through nursing school and you go gallivanting through the city with God knows who. I wasn't with anyone. It was just a concert. And when you flunk your finals, it will be more than just a concert, won't it? And when you wake up 20 years later and you realize that you're no longer young and good-looking, but you're tired and you're worn out from trying to support that baby, it will be more than just a concert, won't it?
1: According to Ziggy, Andrew's concert was a huge success. It won't be now. Oh, boy. After the concert... Michelle was strangled in Central Park.
2: It'll be interesting to see Sam as a blind man.
3: He's pretty much experienced everything else. I mean, I, they're just going to put him through every situation, I guess, right, at this point.
2: I think that's the plan.
3: Well, how do you, like, live after that? How do you how do you live a normal life after you've experienced every possible situation?
2: We shall see. Huh. So I'm looking forward to that one. I remember that one from watching it originally. I haven't seen it in a couple decades, at least. Really looking forward to watching that one a few times. And please join us next time when we do talk about blind faith. And that will wrap it up for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Albie.
3: And I'm Heather. I'm ready to leap now.
1: There are always a few surprises associated with time travel. Some of them are small, and some of them are not so small. Leaping into the life of a working woman taught me that surprises and problems come in all shapes and sizes. Some were easy to handle, some were difficult, and some were a pleasure. But that's the great thing about quantum leaping. always count on it being a surprise
4: thank you for joining us for this episode of the quantum leap podcast go to quantumleappodcast.com to listen to new episodes the quantum leap podcast is not affiliated with belisarius productions or universal tv Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to get behind-the-scenes information, exclusive content, and to be notified first when a new episode is available. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Quantum Leap Podcast, Baron Space Productions, its partners or affiliates. The Quantum Leap Podcast is edited by Albie, researched by Juan. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal TV. No infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap podcast is a barren space production.
3: A fun episode about suicide. Did you write that? <laughs> okay. Um.
2: But I love Sam's attitude. I love additor. That's, That's a new word. That's a new word too. too yeah. This last time, I can tell the family resemblance. I can tell the family. Like
3: resemblance and ambulance in the same <laughs> word. <laughs>
2: Sorry. When I watched it this time, I could tell the family resemblance. <laughs> <Man>. <laughs> <laughs> it's always one word I get stuck on. Okay. It's like they needed an ambulance. <laughs> because they <laughs> resemble each other. Yes. Okay. You did it. You made me laugh. Sorry. Sorry. But this last time I watched the episode, I could really tell the family resemblance.
3: You're
2: still resemblance? Resemblance. Resemblance. Okay. <laughs> resemblance. You got a pen. <laughs>
3: I'm totally putting that on Facebook. New word. Resemblance.
2: <laughs> Gloria
3: bursts into the room and excitedly proclaims that Buddy was keeping his promotion a secret to surprise her and that he is leaving his wife in the holidays to marry her. I don't think he's leaving his wife in the holidays. You stay in Christmas <laughs> after the holidays. <laughs> but it says he left his wife in the holidays. He's going to leave his wife in the holidays. Like you stay in Christmas and I'm going to move on. <laughs> Gloria bursts into the room and excitedly proclaim. Gloria bursts into the room and it's Gloria bursts into the room and excitedly proclaim. What the f- <laughs> No, she doesn't. <laughs>